you for listening to the Divine Nobodies podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Thank you for tuning in to Divine Nobody's Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajna, for the day. Fortunately, Jen will not be making it. She has some personal matters to attend to. But you know, we're grateful to have all you guys here with us today. We have a special guest in the studio that's going to sit alongside me. We're going to wax poetic about life. She has a lot of really amazing stories. And uh, just to introduce her really quickly here, so she is an artist. I've known her as an artist for many, many years, a really, really talented artist. And she's also uh, does a lot of tarot work. So if you guys need a spread about life, she can definitely hook you up. She does a lot of really amazing things. She's also an animal rights activist. And uh, she also kind of delves into the photography realm. So she's all around amazing artist. So I wanted to just go ahead and bring her in. How are you doing, Lizzie? I'm good. Lizzie Luna, otherwise known as Technicolor Dreams on IG. Where did that name come from? Um, every single time I would see like an old Disney cartoon or like a color cartoon, they would be like, the intro before the cartoon. So it'd be like now presented in Technicolor. And I always just thought that was like whimsical. And it kind of reminds me of that time. So it's like a lot of nostalgia attached to that. Yeah. 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 I totally vibe with that. I'm really into like nostalgic type of things. Uh, What were your favorite sort of cartoons back in those days? The Silly Symphonies, like the animated uh, cartoons that are like Disney, but then they would have like a classical like track. So there'd be like no actual dialogue oh and they'd be like just dancing <laughs> what was the name of that one that disney did a while back called fantasia or something oh yeah that's my favorite that actually one? yeah i remember that yeah. one just being like so unbelievably long it was like yeah. three or four hours long it's, yeah it's a really long i one. remember it being like two cassettes when you'd like try and take it out of your grandma's library you For know what sure, I mean? yeah it's worth it though <laughs> yeah that's really cool it, it, it's interesting to look back at those times and see how things have changed right i i saw a few artists online on IG that are creating albums to, uh, like music and things that are starting to come back that I didn't entirely uh, know were a thing were cassette tapes. There are oh, actually yeah. artists now that are like releasing cassette tapes That's of their bizarre. current music. Yeah, I don't get that 100%, but more power to them. It's like, where are you going to find a cassette tape? Who's got just like a cassette player laying around? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Goodwill. You go Goodwill. Yeah. Recycle, reuse. Recycle, reuse. <laughs> so yeah, it's good to have you have you in. We haven't talked in quite, actually, we haven't really shared space in quite a long time because of the pandemic. That sort of um, disarmed a lot of people from um, getting together and, and sharing some space. So to be able to sit alongside of you, me and, me and Lizzie go back a really, really long time. We've had a lot of really amazing journeys together. And uh, we're part of a larger group of, of friends that have just been really, really close and intimately tied together since at least, I want to say, 2015, although I've known you for much longer than that, right? Mm-hmm. So how are things been for you since uh, the pandemic started? I know for all of us, we were all, you know, we had our own sort of things that we had going on. I was doing a lot of sound baths. I think you were doing like a lot of tarot and stuff like that. I was also going to festivals and, you know, the podcasts that we're doing with me and Jen came as a result of the pandemic. So how did your practice and what it is that you were into change? 
Um, and that started. Well, a lot of adapting for sure. I mean, there's less socialization and that's what actually kind of made me dive deep into tarot because I've always been interested in it, but I never really fully submerged myself in that world. You know, it was just kind of like, well, I'm here, I might as well do some inner work on myself. And then that in turn helped me like extend that to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So it was more like my hermit mode, you know, but it was not without reason. It was just like, okay, this is my turn to like work on myself so I can like emerge someone new and reflect that out to the world. Yeah. It's an interesting story with you because a lot of the guests that we have that come on the podcast, I mean, we, we, uh, we're familiar with their work through following them on social media and things like that, but I've known you for a really long time. So to be a part of your journey, you know, me and you were both very, very different people back, I want to say, like at least in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. So to kind of coexist alongside of a friend and see how they've grown over time is like a really surreal experience. And we have a lot of other friends in our group that are very much that way. And it's nice to see that a lot of them um, sort of like fell deeper, deeper into their sort of spiritual journey. A lot of them maybe became healers and a lot of them got into other healing modalities like Reiki and stuff like that. At one point, did you feel that like Tarot was what you really wanted to get into? I mean, when the pandemic happened, I was listening to a lot of like pick a card things on YouTube and um, it it was pretty uh, like helpful for me. And I just like started kind of unknowingly studying it you know I was just kind of like listening to it because I enjoyed it so much and I was learning the interpretations of um, each reader and like how artistic their representation can be and I thought to myself wow that's like really inspiring like I I feel like I'm I'm an artist and a natural storyteller but this is just incorporating a different medium like art into it so it just became like this tool for self-awareness and for me to get, you know, more in touch with who I am and then be able to um, help people out. I mean, I've always kind of been that person people gravitate towards when, you know, they have a situation or an issue, they need help or advice. And like, I've always been that kind of mediator. So for me, it was just like, it kind of went hand in hand. And like, I never really like put the pieces together until like, I don't know, I just, it just, hit me one day. I was like, I can do this. Like this incorporates everything that I'm naturally good at and I can just expand on it. Yeah. You notice that all of like the different dynamics of your character when you were younger were all sort of involved in other things. Like you've always been an artist. You're also a Libra like me. We're both Libras. And whenever me and um, Lizzie used to hop on the phone, we'd always just talk for hours because, you know, uh, our planet is Venus, but we're also very mercurial in nature. So we like to converse a lot. I noticed that, you know, um, you were sort of also that kind of go-to person when it came to like navigating through life's crazy challenges. So to have all of that sort of tied into one modality is pretty powerful. It seemed like it sort of streamlined all of like the greatest skills and uh, talents that you have into one thing because you're also an artist too, mm-hmm. you know. So um, what do you what do you like to gravitate towards more? Are you more of an oracle deck person or a tarot person? I like them both equally. I see decks as like accents. Like every, like it's a different language. It's the same language, like this, the same, you know, meanings from like the original, like, uh, uh, the writer deck, the writer deck. Yeah. But then each artist has like a different interpretation of, you know, what that original context is. So like, you know, someone might see, um, a card a different way and the illustrate it. So, or it could just even be the color combination or just the style, like there's different moods, right? So like there's different questions, 
um, that people ask and there's just different themes that you can go and play with. Like it's still such a visual experience where you can like um, incorporate, you know, the tone of the, of the, of the reading and the way the person phrases the question, like it all goes into like this combination of storytelling that is like helpful and it's just like a different perspective. Like I'm an, I'm, I'm removed enough from like that person's experience to have like a filter of like what's going on. Cause like, I don't take it personally that way. Like it's like not someone um, kind of like, I don't know. I it's just, it just feels like a filter that exists with that medium and yeah. it's sustainable for me that way. It's like you become almost like a clear channel for whatever energy that sort of comes through. And that's, I think that's a challenge that I think some people that get into that type of work is trying to discern between what is your ego saying and what is like a deep, a deeper intuitive sense, like bringing into the space, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, I get, yeah, it's a really good way to put it. Like it's, I guess I was trying to say like, it's, it's possible for me to be objective, like, and I don't latch on to it as like, this is my experience and I'm attached to it. Like I'm not biased towards that person's outcome. Yeah. Like I'm always like, okay, this is what's best in this scenario, you yeah. know, but I'm not like, I don't. I don't take it personally, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you ever have situations where you're giving readings where you you realize at some point that the reading is also for you? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, it's um, a lot of synchronicities happen where it's like, whoa, like I actually needed that for myself too. Like yeah. I'm going through something similar, and the readings are always kind of like more uh, profound when it's like, wow, I needed that as much as you did, you yeah. know, and I get the lesson out of that too. And then I talk about that lesson too with that person. So it becomes more profound, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, like I always, I feel like tarot cards and Oracle are becoming a little bit more uh, mainstream, but in a good way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm noticing a lot of people, especially millennials and Gen Zers. It's like, it, it's something that's kind of worked into the everyday toolbox nowadays. And I think it's like a good point of reference. And I've read articles about why this is in the past, about like people are turning against sort of fundamental Christianity and they're looking towards, you know, these more Eastern traditional um, forms of spirituality, which um, really represent us taking a little bit more accountability over our own actions and opposed to reaching out to some sort of savior in order to like try and solve those problems. So it's almost like putting people on the driver's seat of their own life. Sure. And whenever I try and explain tarot or oracle cards to people that aren't familiar with it, I always come back to, like oracle cards have like a major arcana, right? The major arcana and then the minor arcana. And a lot, at least from my perspective, a lot of them sort of represent different times that a human being goes through. And because we're all human beings, we all experience happiness and pain and trauma and joy the same way, um, those sort of archetypes are universal in a lot of ways. You know, there are, there are cards in the tarot that represent, you know, um, real deep human emotions that everybody goes through. So I would say that like the major arcana, uh, if I were to explain it to people, are, you know, at some point in our lives, we've experienced what it's like to be, you know, like the death, to experience the, 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 the transformation of the death card. Or we've at some point in our lives experienced the, you know, the calamity of what it feels like to get a tower when you pull it, you know? Would that be like kind of like a fair assessment of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the major arcana is kind of like life stages. Yeah. Like you fall in love, you, you, like people die. Like it's just different, like pivotal stages in someone's life. And that's why they're major because they're major things that happen in everybody's life. Right. Yeah. And then um, like the minor is just like human emotions. And 
Um, the reason why I think tarot is still around today is because it's timeless. It teaches us about the human experience and it's a tool for self-awareness. So like, how could that not be valuable? And I think the most important things, like it's considered art, right? At the same time. Um, And I think the most, um, like the things that are timeless teach us. And it's typically associated with art because it's kind of disguised, you know? You're not really 100% sure. It's like, oh, it's like something mystical, but it's like, um, it's really a tool to teach. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good way to put it. It is universal in the sense that it's, I mean, if, it, if it's been around for that long, there's got to be some utility to it. It's crazy to think that it used to be what? It used to be like a card game, right? That you yeah. used to pay back in like the Victorian era or something like yeah. that? yeah. And to think that like that transformed into what it's what it is today. It's like a, I use Oracle decks. I love Oracle decks. I love um, interchangeably kind of using the tarot too. And it's really nice to have that sort of perspective, you know, like there's nobody that knows you more than yourself. Right. You know, and it's one thing to go to a friend and seek advice. But if you're somebody that's giving, you know, a, a reading to yourself, it sort of has this way of like triggering different emotions or putting in putting different things into perspective into your own life visually through imagery. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's more gentle than just like a deep, hard look at yourself. And like, yeah. you're asking yourself, why did I do that? Like there's this filter, I think that exists yeah. in, in that format. That's easier. It's a more digestible. Yeah. Why do you think that in Tarot and, and Oracles, maybe not so much Oracle because or- Oracle is sort of like the, almost like society's attempt to soften the blow of Tarot. <laughs> yeah. But why do you think that Tarot has such a like a negative connotation behind it for a lot of people um because it's popular i mean i think you know like people can interpret things um either way doesn't matter what the medium is but um because people don't fully understand what it is to begin with um there's a lot of negative associations with it right like we fear that what we don't understand we fear the unknown and a lot of people like from religious backgrounds think well that's something that's um, essentially evil because it's predicting the future or something, but it's like, it's not like we always have the capacity to create our own reality, you know? Yeah. Like, so why is that an evil thing? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And just like anything too, I think that's the magnificence behind the tarot that I enjoy is that like, it's neither good nor bad. And it's all about how you go about doing it. Any at any time, it just it's really going to depend on the type of intention and energy you place behind it. And I think maybe the loudest people in the room are the ones that give it a bad name, because anybody can take it and you know sell it in such a way that it seems sort of dark. I mean, obviously, I think mainstream media has done a really good job at demonizing stuff like that, you know, because they associate it with like witches and witchcraft and bad things like that. Um, but I don't think it really comes down to the cards. I think it really comes down to how we approach it, right? Like the energetics behind it. I, sure. I, I, I feel, and I, you probably have these sort of traditions too. At least when I start with this spread, I'll do um, maybe like a small prayer or like a, a, a like an intention. Where I'll like I'll call in my guides, or I'll call in you know the archangel, or I'll call in like an ascended master. Somebody's like to kind of be with me in this space to ensure that, you know, everything that I'm getting is for, like, my highest good, something that I need to know, you know? Is that something that you do as well? Yeah, most definitely. I, I remind myself of the reason why I'm doing it. And, like, I'm the intention is everything. That's the number one step to manifesting to magic. You know, it's the thought, and then it's the action. So it's, like, how do you want to create this? 
And I always make sure that it's coming from a good place. It's coming from an objective place, but it's also coming from like this loving place without judgment. Because it's as soon as we attach our personal views on it, that's when the reading doesn't become actually helpful. And it's just like kind of um, your opinion or you're becoming biased or you're kind of just like nitpicking at someone's life for no reason. And that's not what the person came for you. Like they, they're, they're looking for guidance, not... Um, your viewpoints necessarily. Yeah. I had this conversation with Jen, I think on uh, the last podcast that we did about accessing the creative space. And I kind of liken the creative space to the spiritual space, right? We're pulling from the same reservoir of energy. And we were talking about like how creativity can't be forced. Like there's a certain amount of presence and sincerity and intention that is involved in really diving into the, like the intuitive realm. And that intuitive realm is void of any ego, you know, that, 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 that may or may not be attached to it. So I feel like it's pulling into that same reservoir of energy. I noticed that in the beginning, maybe we all start the same. There's a lot of ego and there's a lot of sort of like assumptions that we have of what this modality can do for us after, you know, getting into it a bit more and understanding how my intuition works and in contrast to my ego. I started to notice a lot more things in the cards that I didn't notice before, like symbolism, for example. And that's the one beautiful thing about tarot and oracle decks that I really enjoy is it's not so much just reading the word that's on the card, but if you're open enough and you're tapped into that creative space enough, you can start to see symbolism that corresponds with, you know, different messages, right? Yeah, I definitely notice a pattern when I um, have a spread because I use several texts. So um, I see uh, an underlying message and it's more about like what I intuitively feel or what I see. And then I just trust that and I go with it. Like, okay, I know just this, like the, sometimes I don't even pay attention to the wording on the card or the traditional meaning. Like sometimes, you know, something seemingly like a bad spread, you know, you just get all um, like 10 of swords or you yeah. know, death. You're like, well, actually this is like effective. Like you actually can work with this and it's not a, negative spread. It's just how you perceive the information to begin with and how it associates with what the person is asking. That's totally true. And that's a perfect contrast between like ego and intuition. Like if somebody doesn't understand how Oracle or Tarot decks, uh, how they work, you'll see the death card and you'll start fucking running from the hills. You're <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, does this mean I'm going to die? And there are people right. that go that go that way, you know? Yeah. But now when I receive the death card or even the tower, I know that there, in a lot of ways, I can see that as a positive thing because it doesn't automatically mean that there's some sort of physical threat in your life. It can just be, from the spiritual perspective, if we're reading from our intuition, a transformation that's going to occur. And who doesn't want that? Right. So I, that that was a perfect, I, I think, example of how we first approached Tarot with this sort of like maybe egoic perspective of like, oh, am I in danger too? the more softer, more spiritual approach, which is that this could just mean the transformation, the death of an old life and the rebirth of um, someone entirely new. And I think that it's like a, a really good way to kind of look at it, right? Yeah, there's always going to be duality. Um, so that's yeah. why the cards can go upside down or like it's not even up or down, right? It's just, it's infinite. The amount of possibilities that we experience in life, like it's not just one thing like it can be interpreted so many different ways so like why are you going to let one perspective determine your outcome mm -hmm. yeah and how many decks do you have <laughs> i have a like over like around 100 that i'm working on 
more. A hundred, a hundred decks. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you determine what deck that you want to use when you're giving somebody a reading? Um, it depends on what they're asking me, the topic, um, the feel of it. Some people want um, like a pick me up. You know, some people want more introspective. Like I have shadow work decks, so it's like, uh, you know, some people want a deep like hard truth type of reading, like give it to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, and I, and I can generally feel what that is, just how they phrase it and what they're going through. You know, some, like if someone's already down, like they don't want to like keep getting like, you know, things to work on or like feeling like they're nitpicked when they just want a happy reading and they want something to look forward to in life. And that's totally fine too. You know, we're all, we all have different capacities and different wants and different desires. So like, I'm going to respect that and I'm going to honor that. Right. I'm not just going to be like, this is what I think you need. It's like, um, this is what I like think is the most loving approach, the most effective approach. So it just goes by how the, the, the topic, I guess, of the question. And that's how universal and versatile it is. Like everybody has their own type of love language, right? Like how they give and receive information. So it's nice that you're able to like, be empathetic to the needs of somebody else through their energy. Definitely. I think that's really important because I've gotten readings in the past where it was like, you know, it was too strong for my sort of empathetic self, you know? Sure. So I think it's like important to be able to tap in. And I don't want someone to just tell me what I want to hear either, but it feels like there's sort of like this gentle balance that needs to take place. And of course, because you're a Libra, it makes sense that you would get into that sort of thing, right? So Yeah. I mean, there's always like a delicate balance, right? And... Um, sometimes like, it's just all about adapting to that circumstance too. Sometimes like I, you know, I obviously don't try to make any assumptions with the person either. So I ask, you know, like if they, if they feel open enough to discuss whatever it is, the the question is, or the topic is like, I'll, I'll get some more information because if I'm not a hundred percent sure, how am I going to give person like that person advice? Right? Like, it's not the most, like I, I, I make sure to not make any assumptions about what that person needs. And I like, as much as I read cards, I also read people. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody that, um, they, they have a very specific way in which they look at tarot Oracle where they start asking like, like uh, ultimate questions, you know, like some people that maybe they're in a really desperate situation they need like a yes or a no, or is this going to happen? Uh, like if somebody, you know, wants you to essentially tell them the future, can you help maybe dissolve some of those myths about really what the intention is behind Oracle and Tarot and what it can and can't do? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of people that I think in my, that put me on a pedestal and they're not even realizing it, right? They're like, you're going to determine my future. And yeah. I'm like, don't give me that power. You know, that power is ultimately yours. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't even realize that's what they're doing, but they place that importance on me because they don't want the responsibility of their life essentially. So I try to like, you know, I honor each question and then I understand how they phrase it. And then I do several spreads. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, okay, am I ever going to find love? And then, you know, I get whatever the result is. And then after I do something more progressive, like how can I, how can you open yourself more to, to love? Mm -hmm. You know, I, put the power back into the person. I'm more about empowering the person to make sure that they feel capable to create what they want. Yeah. And what I heard somebody put it this way um, before, which is that the reading that you're giving is, is true in the moment that you happen to be in right now. Like it's almost like a reading of potentials and possibilities based off of like your behavior in the moment. Right. And, sure. that, and, and, and so whatever it is that could be real for that person in the moment, 
could be true, but they could decide to do something entirely different the next day. And that reading will change into something else, right? Are you just giving them a snapshot of where the energy is in this moment? I'm only giving them a possibility. Yeah, it's like a possibility. It's like a choose your own adventure. You want to choose this one, go for it. But like, I'm trying to give like constructive advice. Like it's like you go to a therapist and you don't go to the therapist, fix my life. I mean, I hope, I mean, maybe some people do, but that's not like the most, you know, empowering thing to do. Like it's more like you go to a therapist, you open up, you feel comfortable with like being vulnerable with them and then you get some advice and some guidance and hopefully you feel a little bit lighter after the experience, but you're not, you're not going to a therapist and thinking like this guy's just going to cut, like erase all my problems and I'm not going to think about my life like in a dramatic way. You know, it's, it's, it's a prog, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was uh, reading, watching this uh, YouTube video a while back. There are some people that get readings that they obviously don't like. I've gotten readings (laughs) that I got a spread and I'm like, I don't know if I like this spread. And then you'll just like put the card back into the pile. Sure. But there was this uh, spread that this fellow had that like if you pulled a card and it was uh, maybe like a certain outcome that you weren't looking for or maybe something that you wanted to immediately change, he did this thing. And I want to know what you think about it, where he pulled another card or he put his hand on the card and he like closed his eyes and he focused like an intention on how he wanted to kind of move through that or resolve it in some way. And he thought by focusing your energy or some positive energy or some healing energy on this card that it would alter the trajectory of the reading. So after he did that, he pulled another card and put it over the top of that one. So it was essentially his way of changing the energy of the card through his intention into another outcome. Yeah. Have you ever tried doing that? Um, well, I mean, I don't believe in a negative reading, you know, it's all about like your perception of it and it's just kind of like, okay, we, we can focus on that, but the story continues, right? It's not the end. It just keeps evolving. It keeps happening. So it's just kind of like, do you want it to end here? You don't have to, it's your choice. You know, you can stay stuck in this spot, but the good part is you keep going. It's life. It keeps happening. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it because whether or not it is uh, has a bit more light in the reading or a little bit more shadow, you're pretty much focusing on both of those polarities as opportunities for growth in some way, right? And I think that's the responsibility that some people need to kind of take on if they're going to venture down that path of maybe doing Oracle or Tarot is that you could learn, you're learning about yourself regardless of whether or not it's something you do or don't want to hear, right? right? So if you're somebody that's looking just for, you know, the bells and whistles and all the good stuff about Tarot, um, you're going, it's going to be, I think, a little bit too abstract and you can kind of risk um, kind of being fragmented in a lot of ways. You have to like really be cognizant and aware of what you may not be doing right in your life. Right. And some people aren't ready for that either. They're not <laughs> ready for that. Do you ever yeah. have those people that like, because they put you on a pedestal, they come back to you later and they're like, Hey Lizzie, I thought like you told me I was going to win a million dollars or something. <laughs> I don't do lottery numbers. <laughs> like That's uh just, yeah. Just give them a fortune cookie. It's not what I do. <laughs> I don't like that. Like I, I like to be, you know, when, the, when people want to do that, like they, they want to give me that authority. Mm-hmm. I, I give it right back to them. I've said, no, you're in charge of your, your life, you know, but I, I say it in a gentle way, obviously. Like, I'm like, I will honor your question, but then I, you know, move with it in a progressive way where they understand that it's ultimately up to them. Yeah. But I don't do lottery numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Don't come at me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that pressure. Yeah. So it's cool that you're into the, the tarot card and the oracle. How I've known Lizzie for most of the, the time that I've known her is that she's just been an artist. And I know that's a very universal sort of term. 
you've been involved in lots of different things. And uh, you're an amazing and a phenomenal artist. I have some of her art. I was showing you some of the, the art that I got from you a while back. I have it like hanging in my home. And I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that because you're a really complex person. You're a really intelligent person. You have a lot of life experience with this whole thing. But what made you gravitate towards art? And uh, what is it that you kind of seek to do? Like, what is your objective when it comes to how you approach art? Is there a reason or a story behind that? Yeah. Um, well, there's just certain things in life that aren't um, as effectively expressed as, you know, like with just words alone. You know, there's things that um, life is just more complex than just, you know, saying what you feel. And yeah. art is that outlet for me because yeah. it's more profound. Um, so, yeah, I got I got into it. Um, like I, w- I would always take uh, like electives in school and I never really took it seriously. Like I thought it was like a fun outlet. Um, but I never realized like the impact that it could have not only on my life, but with others, um, life. And that, that took me down like a really dark rabbit hole at one point, but I came out of it, you know, feeling inspired more than anything. Yeah. It's the one beautiful thing about art is like, you mentioned this was just like, it's a, it's almost like a, another language, mm-hmm. but it's, a where to access that creative space is a really, really kind of mysterious place because I, I think I heard somebody explain it one time, which is like, it is, um, you're expressing the inexpressible, yeah. right? There are certain things that cannot be dictated into words. There are certain things that cannot be placed in the words. And I think the majority of those things are feelings, right? The, the feelings that sometimes we have in life, I would say one of the most mysterious feelings that we're all pretty much aware of, but we're not entirely sure uh, of all the dynamics behind it is love, right? Like sure. love is, is a feeling that we've all experienced before, but it's really hard, especially if it's somebody that you really, really love. It's really hard to put that into words, mm-hmm. right? It's beyond words. Yeah. And I feel like things like art are really, really great ways for, for people to express what they feel or the energetics of what they feel in a way without having to use words to obscure that. Most right? definitely. Yeah. yeah. Is that how kind of like you approach your art? Did you see it as kind of like a way to express feelings that you maybe at the time didn't know how to express or didn't have the right words to use? I mean, at first I saw it as like, like an outlet, like therapy, you know, like some, some just feelings that I couldn't like, you know, it's just a much more powerful language. It is a language in itself, creativity, and it's my favorite language. But um, I noticed like the impact that it had on other people's lives, and I felt more seen and understood by others than you know something that I could just simply say to someone. Like they, I feel like they got it that way, or they felt what I was feeling yeah. at some capacity when I created something. Like I would move them in a way that I couldn't before. Yeah. So it was more effective. Yeah. So yeah. were you like a really shy person when you were young? Um, I think so. I mean, I felt mostly like I was kind of like the person who was like a misfit kind of like, I didn't know, like everyone would have like cliques in different, um, like in school, like they'd be like, you know, the jocks and the, the stereotypes. And, yeah. Like the nerds. And I never, I never really fit into any category. So I was just kind of the person that would like find one person in each group to like gravitate towards. Yeah. And I just kind of like did my own thing. Like I've always just been a different person. Um, and I guess I didn't always embrace it. I kind of wanted to fit in at some capacity when I was younger, but now I'm just like, no, like I am who I am and I accept myself. Yeah. But that was like a long journey to get to that point. Right. But like focusing a little bit more on your childhood, like, would you say, uh, 
would you consider yourself like an empathetic person or an HSP type? Like, were there sort of like um, different walls that you hit when you were young when it came to like uh, trying to understand kind of how the world works or communicating with others? Um, I could, I mean, I've always been an empathetic person. Um, I didn't always have like the most self-control with my emotions, I guess. Like I would kind of struggle with like, um, like reacting instead of responding, you know, it'd be like too overwhelming for me at the times. And I didn't know, like it was just too, I was too emotional or whatever. I just didn't have those outlets to properly express myself. So it would come out kind of like chaotic in a way. Um, just like. I don't know, you'd blurt something out or uh, it just, it was just a strange time, you know, but how would you deal with those emotions? Like when you were younger, because you didn't have, it's like you said, you didn't have like an outlet to, to channel that information into. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is something you definitely don't know about me, but when I was like in fourth grade, <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> um, I was like, I, I, I'm five, seven and I've, I had a growth spurt. Um, when I was in fourth grade and I was five, seven in fourth grade, that's really tall. Okay. Like I was taller than most of my teachers. It was awkward. Like you can slam dunk on the court for sure. Yeah. Yeah, So it was weird. It felt like they called me the jolly green giant and it wasn't fun. And um, kids a little asshole sometimes, right? Kids are so mean. They can say the craziest shit. Sometimes they have no filter, but you know, I, it kind of like, I had a lot of hormones, you know, at that moment, like I was, growing and I didn't know how to like properly channel that so like all the kids that I had a crush on were like obviously shorter than me and like it was just kind of like you know when um guys it's typically like the reverse like would like beat up on girls to like let them know you had a crush on them oh yeah yeah. I did that with short short guys oh (laughs) you're like hey twerp I'm like, I don't like you. Boom. It's oh. like, I was like, why isn't it working? Like, <laughs> why don't they like me? I don't get it. <laughs> like, it was pretty weird. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting thing when we're kids and we have these little tendencies that we have, you know, because when you get older and you start tracing back through your childhood experience and you start thinking like, wow, like it's crazy how we have these all, all these little unconscious behaviors that we're not aware of, right. such as like picking on the person that you love. Bizarre. You know? <laughs> Bizarre, yeah. And we don't see that as an issue until you reach adulthood and like you have men and women that do the same thing and we're like, oh, that is a toxic person right there. Right, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, but I feel like they there's not enough training for children to learn these type of things when they're young. And of course, you know, there are lots of parents that don't want this like schooling system to tread into the waters of having to train their kids about the dynamics of human interaction, but it should happen. Sure. And I think that maybe comes down to, you know, how the parents show up in their life. At least when I was young, you know, the parents wanted you to grow up a certain way. So they had these a certain ideology. They wanted to kind of keep you away from all of the bad stuff and only kind of like pull you along the direction that only they knew. But the one thing that I find is really interesting about when we're kids, especially in school, is that we're taught so many different things, but we're not really taught how to love. Not at all, yeah. (laughs) Like we're not really taught how to interact with each other. And that just can be a really, really confusing time because those are some of like the, the, the peak of our development happens, at least when we're young, during that time. You know, so to not know how to behave around the opposite sex, to not know how to, in a healthy way, you know, coexist with the opposite sex, or even to just, you know, um, in a healthy way, express our feelings, I think is um, kind of like an antiquated um, part of the antiquated system that we're a part of, like, we should be kind of taught these things when we're younger, and at least maybe you're 
parents should should have done that as well. Yeah, I, I pretty much had no guidance in that direction. Um, but, you know, that's also like a personal thing to each person. You know, you can't really necessarily teach how to love. Like you kind of just experience it and you keep going like, okay, that didn't work. Because love oh, yeah, is so for different sure. for everybody, right? Yeah, but there, there could, there, there should be at least a, a little bit of guidance. I know, for sure, yeah. You know, like the, like the whole basis behind school shouldn't be about how to be a consumer, how to just be, you know, somebody that knows how to get a job and like operate within society. A part of the curriculum should be about like how you behave around people, yeah. like what goodness, what joy, what love is, like exploring at least a little bit what these emotions are all about. Sure. Because I know a lot of kids, I mean, I'm one of those people alongside of you where it's like, because we weren't taught these things, we had to go through this sort of arduous journey of trying to figure out what not to do first, yeah. which is what I did, you know, like you, and that, that came, that came with, you know, uh, dating people that weren't good for me. That came with, you know, drugs that came with, you know, um, you know, getting into like unhealthy type of behaviors and your, your parents can only guide you so much, but you know, uh, that was sort of like, I think that is a path that a lot of like kids go down as they go through experimentation. And I'm one of those people that believe in the necessity of having both polarities in life moving. I feel like in some ways we have to go that direction. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. Like we have to go into the direction of like knowing what not to do first before we sometimes get to the good stuff. You Otherwise know? you just don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, you like should... you, you're only told, oh, don't do this and do that. But then you're like, but I want to find out for myself. Yeah. And then you do and you're like, oh, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> Yeah. It's almost like built into the fabric of like, uh, I guess when you're young is just rebelling. Anytime somebody says you can't do something, there's this light bulb that goes off. It's like, huh, there must be a reason why, because it must be awesome. Right. right? Yeah, there must but why? be something. Because yeah. when you're a kid, you're convinced that like your parents just don't want you to do anything that makes you happy. So if they say no to something, you're like, okay, well, they don't want me to do it because they don't want me to be happy. Yeah. I had a lot of those moments. Like I was told that every drug was bad and it was the devil because I grew up around, you know, a very Catholic upbringing. And oh, yeah. I went to Catholic Sunday school. I went to private school. Like everything was just, you know, forbidden. Like, and it was like, don't do that. But I, that, the curiosity, you know, I've always been a curious person and I just wanted to know why. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that curiosity. We had a guest on our pod a while back named Sophia Araya, and she grew up in like a really devout Catholic family too. And you always hear about lots of you know, different types of oppression in that. Like one, that you're, you're automatically a sinner just right out the gate. It doesn't even matter who you are. It doesn't even matter if you're like one or two years old and you haven't like developed or built any sort of negative <laughs> karma. Yeah, You're like, you, sir, are a sinner. And so you have to like work your entire life trying to prove yourself to, you know, a sort of like what seems to be a jealous or a vengeful God. And it just never made sense to me. And it makes sense to me why people in that, you know, religion would start to rebel. Mm. You know, it's like they, they already make you feel like shit. You're like, okay, well, I'm already a sinner. I might as well just go all the way, right? There's a lot of guilt and shame yeah. attached to certain religions. Yeah. yeah. So what were, what were some of the, 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 the things that you got into that I guess we would consider more shadow types or struggles? Well, I mean, I was pretty good up until, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, good, relatively good, but uh, I abstained from everything. You know, I never, I never even drank or smoked anything and like didn't have sex. Like everything was just like, I was a good girl, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until I got my first boyfriend at the age of 19, so very late bloomer <laughs> to have oh. a romantic relationship or anything. But um, I moved out uh, to Burbank and I created like a whole 
like I had to start from new with like my social network. So um, I had a coworker and instantly we bonded. He's like, you're cool. You're hanging out with me. So like I needed friends. So I was like, sure, let's do it. You know? And um, when I went over to like this kickback or a party, like there was like pot and there was um, alcohol and I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I was kind of scared. I was kind of reluctant, but this guy was cool. You know, I was yeah. like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. So I drank and then I smoked some pot and I was like, this is a lie. You know, I was, I was, I, I thought I felt at that moment that I was just like, I, w- I was fed lies my whole life. Like they told me this was bad, but why do I feel good? Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, what else have they been lying to me about? You know, like I felt like kind of tricked. So I was like, I need, I need to discover other things because I feel like everything has like, it, it could be a lie. Mm-hmm. So I might as well just explore and figure it out. Um, so like, you know, I like, I went from like not doing anything to like trying pretty much everything. Yeah. And like, they were all pretty positive experiences in the beginning, but it was like the most weird thing. I mean, like I believe like in transparency now and like consent and stuff, just like awareness or just, you know, open communication when it comes to things that you're not aware of, right? Don't assume. But at the time, um, my coworker of all people, a different one, um, decide, like asked me, she's like, do you like to party? And I was like, yeah, who doesn't, right? So yeah. <laughs> she was like, okay, come here. So we went into like... Um, the break room and she just like cut up a line for me and it was like this white powder. And I was like, well, what? Like, I didn't even ask. I just trusted her. Like I was super naive. Right. Yeah. Like I didn't know a lot about life and I thought like I've been lied to. So I was like, yeah, this is probably real good. So I took the line and then it wasn't until after like, I'm like, what was that? You know? And she's just like crystal. I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And she's like, I was like, what is that? She's like meth. I was like, Oh, but it feels good, you know? Yeah. So it was just kind of like, like, has this been a lie too? And um, it was, it was strange. Cause like, she's kind of like supported it. Cause she wanted to not feel alone doing it. Oh, wow. So, so she took you in there with her. Yeah. And I would even go to like, um, I would take her to AA meetings Yeah. and like, we'd both be high. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're saying that was, that was meth. Yes. Okay. So that, that is like collectively seen as probably one of the strongest drugs out there. For sure. Right. And so, you know, the, the the path that I noticed some people take is one, they say it's like the greatest feeling that they've ever had in their life. And that sends them down this kind of huge spiral into um, going after that. Mm -hmm. Right. Considering that you were so young, like one, I'm just really curious about this because um, I mean, obviously I've never done it, but how did you, how did that make you feel like the the first time you experienced something like that? Um, Like you're on top of the world. Like it kind of felt like you're God and in a way, like everything just feels really good and um, it's addicting, you know, to feel good. Like who doesn't want to feel good? But um, what I didn't know was like, you know, when you, when you're not on it, it makes you feel awful. So, um, you know, there's a, like a selfishness that it's, that's, that gets attached to that experience because you're willing to do anything for it because it feels so good. Like you're like, I became a very, very selfish person and I betrayed people's trust. And I basically, um, like lost, like everybody in my life at that point, like people couldn't trust me because I wasn't trustworthy. Like, um, I basically like betrayed a lot of people. So was there a moment when you first did that line where you thought like, 
you knew that your entire life was going to change. No way. How could I know that? There's no. no way. Like it just, I just knew in that moment, okay, this feels good. Let's keep going. Oh, I see. You know, it wasn't yeah. like life changed all so of a sudden. It wasn't one of those things that like you felt because it felt so good that you knew it was like your, all of your priorities changed. Like this is what I want to do. It was more gradual than that. It was more gradual. Yeah. Cause that's the thing that you hear all the time. It's like, Oh, one person does it one time and all of a sudden their just life starts to fall apart. Cause it's all they want to do. I you mean, know? it takes time. It At least it time. took time for me, Yeah. but I was, I went on like a nine month binge and, um, then that me and that friend, if you can call her a friend, we had a falling out. And, um, then I realized like, oh man, this stuff's expensive, you know? So then it, it resorted for me to do things that I never thought I would do like steal yeah. for the sake of supporting that habit yeah. and lying to people for it. And yeah. it became like a really negative spiral where, you know, even, even sex felt like amazing to me at the time. It was like, the most mind blowing thing I could ever experience. So I would be promiscuous. Like I'd sleep with random people, even when I was in a relationship, like my first boyfriend, right? Yeah. Like I just, like, I just took everything for granted. Right. And yeah. I just thought to myself, I can get away with it. It's worth it. Doesn't matter. Didn't think about consequence at all until yeah. I lost pretty much everything. Yeah. I can relate to that story. And we talk about it a lot in the podcast. Like my father was an addict and his, his drug that sort of like really tore him apart was meth. And so I can like resonate with a lot of what you're saying because a lot of uh, what I experienced with him were those very things, you know, like seeing all the different family members burning bridge with all those people, like stealing from like other people, stealing from me, especially as a, like a young kid. It was, I wasn't as emotionally aware back then, but I can see uh, how it gradually over time, how he became a different person yeah. and how the entire world around him started to crumble and at the same time, while you're on that drug, I mean, obviously you're not thinking rationally. You're not really thinking about the impact that you're making on other people. You're not thinking at all about you know? other people. Yeah. And the sad thing about, about it is that, you know, my father was also like, he was a good person. He was a very empathetic person, but also a very sensitive person. And he was, you know, his situation was he was the result of a un really unfortunate sort of upbringing. You know, he witnessed a lot of trauma and a lot of... Um, negativity in his life and a lot of abandonment and a lot of neglect and unfortunately you know that got the best of him and that was his way to i think cope with a lot of those feelings that he was feeling so the unfortunate thing is that like he just needed to be loved and there wasn't anybody in his life that was able to love him and you know you take on the responsibility um, regardless when you have children right to to be sort of like a beacon of light to them and um, he wasn't able to be that and so to be able to witness sort of like him crumbling in that way has been like really, really unfortunate. But the one thing that I did want to bring up is that I noticed, you know, uh, it's easy to demonize people that get involved in that type of stuff. Sure. Right. But the one thing just based off of my experience is that some of the strongest, most beautiful and amazing people are the ones that fall victim to drug, drug addiction and drug abuse. Right. And to change the narrative between seeing those type of people as just bad to changing it, changing your perspective perspective, and seeing it as like, there's just somebody that needs to be loved here. There's just somebody that needs tremendous amounts of healing and somebody that needs a whole lot of support. Now, I know that's a difficult thing because if you've ever tried to support a meth addict, <laughs> yeah, it's, tough. It's, it's a really difficult thing because boundaries tend to be like a really difficult thing for them. At least it was for my father. But uh, I just wanted to bring up that, you know, just because somebody gets into drugs doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. I think uh, 
Gabor Mate likes to look at it as like it's their attempt to solve an issue, right? It's their attempt to try and heal some of the pain that they're going through and they just need to be directed in such a way. You know what I mean? Like when you were um, going down that path, right? So what was that like? Like just constantly, I imagine like you said you were doing it for quite a few months. Like what was it like just always being high? It felt great until I needed it again, you know? And then it's just started, um, I started noticing that people didn't want to hang out with me anymore. Like I was kind of just, I'm sure like a chaotic, selfish energy, you know? Like I had pretty much everything going for me at the time, but I decided to like take it for granted and I didn't understand consequences at all. I was just invisible at that or invincible at that moment. You know, it was just kind of like, doesn't matter. You know, I just, I I was just too young to realize like my actions have consequences and it wasn't until I lost everything that I could see that, you know, and and really reflect on it and say, do I really want to keep going down this path? And the answer was absolutely no. Cause I ended up like in jail, you know, I ended up like having my family basically disown me because they couldn't trust me. They didn't know who I was. So I had to like, you know. Why did you go to jail? Um, Well, like I was at one point, you know, uh, like supporting myself with like my drug addiction and it got very, very expensive. And I just said to myself, like, I can't even keep up with this. Like I can't even pay my rent. Like I just started, you know, losing everything. Like I, I stopped going to my work. I stopped going to college and I was like, you know, just getting high basically. And then I realized like, I don't have any more money for this, you know? So like I went to like my drug dealer's house and I got like my last, my last hit. And I I thought to myself, I can't do this anymore. Like this is too much. It's too expensive. I don't know what else to do. So I was like in a very desperate state of mind. And I called my sister and um, she lives out in Iowa And I decided to, you know, be honest with her. I said, hey, like, I just got my last bag of meth. I'm not intending to do this anymore. I can't even afford this, but I'm letting you know that I need help. And um, she was like, okay, well, you're my sister and I love you. Come over. So I decided to, like, hitch a ride over there. (laughs) Basically, like, I was, did not think about anything really. It was just high out of my mind, okay? How old were you then? Um, I want to say, like, Maybe 22, okay. maybe 23, something like that. Okay. Um, so I decided to take a road trip out to Iowa and move all my stuff. And um, I mean, I kept my word, like as far as like not bringing meth, but she told me don't bring anything. If I see you bring anything like, you know, like I'm going to cut you out. So I said, anything as if drugs, like, like you don't want to bring anything. Right, right, right. So I thought to myself, I thought she, she just meant meth because like everyone's cool with weed in California basically. Yeah. That's what I thought. But and that was 22 back then. It wasn't legal yet. Right, right. Yeah. So, and she has kids, so it's a different story, right? Yeah. Like, I can kind of see her side, but I wasn't in my right mind, <laughs> to right. say the least. So yeah. I went over there, and um, I was withdrawing like crazy, you know? I mean, I'm trying to remember, like, the dumb things that I did. Like, I, I all of a sudden, I just... Snowing out there, and I got a shovel, and I was just digging for no reason. I thought I lost something. Like I was crazy. Okay, like I don't like my my. I, I probably wasn't making a whole lot of sense to her. Yeah, and I don't like I was kind of just withdrawing and losing my mind. So, so like, but why were you out there with the shovel? Did, I don't you know. just, was it just this feeling of like you needed to keep yourself busy? I have no something? idea, but I was erratic, very erratic. So what what is what, one like? What is um what does withdrawal feel like? 
when you're, I mean, you're, you're saying that you're, you're going off of just doing, doing meth. You're trying to consistently stay on it out of fear. I imagine of what the withdrawals feel like, but when you have to commit to actually withdrawing, like what does that feel like in your body or or Um, emotionally? Like you can't regulate your body temperature. You feel hot, you feel cold at the same time. You feel like, like hallucinating. Like you don't know what reality is. You kind of feel like puking. Like it's just, it feels like you're going to die. Like yeah. basically, like you don't really have control over how your body feels, but it feels awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels like you're going to die. And, yeah. you know, you try to like, if you can, you know, if you can afford it or whatever, you keep going, then you keep going. But um, at that moment, I made the choice to stop. So I decided, you know, to not do it when I was over there with her. But, um, you know, I, I brought a vaporizer and that's just like, um, not like a, like a vape pen or something, but it was like one of those little things that look like an amp and has a glass tube and then you put like weed and then you burn it and then it's like a pipe that you smoke out of it. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah. So I brought that, but I didn't even have any weed. So I was just trying to smoke the resin and like, it was like 2am and I was like, I, locked myself in the closet to the room I was given and like she smelled it. My sister smelled it. So she called the cops on me the next day and she goes, you're out on your own now. You know, you, you broke the, the, the trust, you broke the agreement. And yeah. I was just like, it's, I didn't bring any, like, you know, it was just kind of like, wow, you're going to do this. And you know, like I'm fucked basically. Like you know, when she meant that you were out, like she was essentially kicking you out. She kicked me out. Yeah. But she called the cops and the cops came and, um, I mean, they didn't find anything outside of the the vaporizer. And, you know, I got a misdemeanor on having uh, paraphernalia with intent to smoke. <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous now looking back. Oh, but, for sure. But, um, yeah, I was incarcerated for 30 days. Um, 30 days? Yeah, which was legal. For what? what for for? A, mis- a misdemeanor. I was just waiting to be, like, uh, have a uh, appointed uh an attorney? Like an attorney, yeah, yeah. And like they were just backlogged with cases, and I kept getting pieces in the mail saying like, you know, sorry, we have like an overflow of um, cases. Like we'll get back to you when we can. Yeah. And finally, um, like I got out, but uh, that boggles my mind that you went in there for thirty <laughs> days just because they found paraphernalia on. Right. You. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. But um, and and my like I had a bail of a hundred dollars, and I told her like I'd pay her back. Like please bill me out. I don't want to be here. She goes, no, I think you should stay in there. And I was just like, what? damn, dude, that's so cold. <laughs> like why? Yeah. Like I had my contacts, and then I like the first day, like I just cried them out because I was so devastated, and I like tried to contact her, like look into my glasses, please bring me my glasses. She sent me my glasses with the piece of mail saying, like, you're not welcome back anymore. So she just, like, I I got kicked out. I was essentially homeless after jail. So I was looking for a way out, you know. I was, like, trying to come up with a plan. I was desperate at that point. Like, I'm not even welcomed. It's the middle of, uh, like, blizzard season out in Iowa. Like, it's snowing. (laughs) What what was it like being in jail for 30 days? Like, what did you do during that time? Um, I mean, it was all women, so that was nice, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that was like kind of, it made me feel safer to not have like <clears throat> men there because, you know, people get desperate. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just like, I had no money to my name and like the people, some people had uh, commissary items. So that's just something that you're like, that you can buy if you have money to your name. So we were just all appointed, like very basic things like a toothbrush, some soap, um, pieces of paper, like yeah. some stamps and um, envelopes to like send back 
some letters to people that you care about. I had yeah. no one at that point, right? I was like, why would I need this paper? So I just started drawing little cartoons. Right. And I would show other people because I was bored. You know, I was just like, what am I supposed to do here? I, don't, I had nothing but time on my hands. So I was just drawing, drawing, drawing. And then like my uh, cellmates or, you know, mates would see see what I would draw and they'd be like, oh, wow, that's so nice. Like, can you draw SpongeBob for me? Like, I, yeah. you know, I want to I wanna show it to my son or my niece or my grandchildren. Like, I want to, you know, give them something. Like, can you make stationery? And I said, yeah, but like I started like hustling in jail because they were like, I'll give you, you know, Milky Way, I'll give you like cup of noodles, I'll give you some playing cards. And I thought to myself, okay, all right, this is getting me somewhere, <laughs> you know, like I'm making a, like a name for myself here. And like, I never took my art seriously or anything. I was just like, okay, stuff, you know, but um, it was just like, well, I was trying to figure out a way, like a plan. I need, I needed to get a plan outside of jail. Like I wasn't just like, okay, I'm out of jail. I'm good. Yeah. It was just kind of like, I need to figure out something. So I explained my story to all the women there. And a lot of them were like, that's really messed up. Why would your sister do that? Um, and they had a lot of sympathy for me. Like I was there with like some girl who killed her husband or something, oh, wow. you know, it was, it was like really? legit stuff. So I was like, okay, you got to stay away from her. You know, what, was it easy to stay away from? I mean, I'm just going off of my understanding through, you know, watching, you know, documentaries or videos about people that are incarcerated. Is it, is it easy to stay away from the bad things? Like, is it easy to stay away from, I imagine the gangs and things like that, that they have in there? There was no gangs. There's nothing. It was just, um, I mean, I had my own cell. So that was yeah. nice, but it was a tiny room, you know? So I had just a lot of personal time to myself. And then there would be like certain times where they would open the cell and then you can have like the common place where you eat or you watch TV or you read. Um, and then like once a week you'd go to the gym if you yeah. wanted to. Once a week you can go to church if you wanted to, you know? But it, it was so boring. I did all of it. <laughs> like were during this time, were you still withdrawing? Um, yes. But I was in there for so long that, you know, eventually it just went out of my system. Oh, I see. So I did get clean, you know, yeah. like, obviously, like I couldn't do drugs in jail. Yeah. Um, so it did serve like a greater purpose, but um, yeah. it was just kind of like, I had to stay busy. And the, the way that I stayed busy was creating art. And um, I talked to, I made friends with one girl there and I told her my story and she told me like, Hey, call, like she wrote down this number on a piece of paper. She's like, call her up after you're, you know, you're free or whatever. <laughs> they let you go. She'll help you out. And I was like, um, am, I, am I really trusting this girl right now? You know, like, yeah. who is she? Like, how am I supposed to know that I'm not going to get into an even worse situation, you know? Um, but I was like, what other option do I really have at this point? So as soon as I was released, um, I was like running through snow, like the snow was taller than me and it was really cold and I wasn't dressed for it at all being from California. And um, the first thing I did was run up to random strangers, ask them for change. And then once I got the change, I ran to a payphone. I was like, I can either call my family, I can call my sister who put me here or I can call a stranger. And I decided to call the stranger and she picked me up yeah. and I went to her house. She fed me pizza and and soda and she just took me in saying like 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 no judgment absolutely no judgment yeah. and um at that point she took out a piece of paper and she was like did you draw this was this you and I was like yeah and it was like a picture of Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo she's like I really really love that like if I take you out to um Hobby Lobby will and get you some supplies uh 
will you um, do a bigger painting for me? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not, you know? So um, she ended up taking me to the Salvation Army Center, and that's where I stayed. It was like a woman's shelter, and she visited me every day. And I didn't realize until that moment, like, how big of an impact, like, art could have on someone's right. life. Like, yeah. enough to trust this stranger who just got out of jail, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, how possible is that? Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting because it seems like art sort of guided you through that entire process. Most definitely. You know? Like, I feel like like love has these really interesting ways in which it guides us. It doesn't just guide us through, you know, like somebody like loving us or guiding us through a difficult process. Like sometimes like little subtle, little talents that we have, things that we do out of love, yours just happen to be art seem to have like guided you through a really, really difficult process. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how it would turn out if I didn't do those things. Yeah. 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 It, it was just sort of like a language that the other people that were there were picking up on. And I just feel like maybe that inspired people to want to help you. You know, I wanted to ask you about this because this is a, a question that I, I, a few people have um, brought up to me kind of in the past, which is, you know, uh, sometimes when you're walking down the street, especially like here in Pasadena, you see a lot of transients, like there are a lot of homeless people in Pasadena. And I, I imagine a fair share of those people are drug addicts. And so you see them walking down the street every once in a while, like talking to themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I, I've thought about this a lot, just be, be mainly because I've read a lot about, you know, like uh, alternate sort of dimensions that exist, like the fourth dimension, three dimension. And they always talk about like, you know, whenever somebody engages very deeply with uh, like drugs, you leave yourself vulnerable to, you know, being influenced by all these different other types of energies that exist in the world, whether or not it's through people, whether or not it's through like spiritual beings. And I always get the feeling that like when I'm on the street and I see these people walking by, or maybe I just happen to be walking on a sidewalk and you just see somebody appearing to talk to themselves, it seems like they're talking to somebody. Right. Like it seems like they're engaged in a conversation. It may not even make sense to us, but it seems like there's another force there with them. Or did you ever get to a point like when you were on meth where you were so like deep into it? I don't know if uh, you had gotten sleep or if you were like uh, awake for days at a time. If you've ever I would had that feeling. I would hallucinate, see things that weren't there. Um, I think when it comes down to it, you know, there's like mental illnesses and disorders yeah. and stuff like that, which yeah. like can take you to another place. I think the only thing that really divides those people from like the rest of us is intention. I think yeah. it's like, what do you do with those voices? Like, how do you integrate that into your life? And like, if your life is chaotic and has no sense of stability, like how is that going to serve a greater purpose? Right. You know? Yeah, that's true. And and I worked uh, for the adult day services. It was actually the um, Union Station Homeless Services in Pasadena for a long time. It's a like a homeless shelter. And I did that like years and years ago, but it really changed my perspective on transient people. Uh, it's easy to kind of just see them and see them as like people that like don't want to work or don't want a job. And I never saw them that way. I knew, I knew that there was something else that was happening just based off of how uh, I grew up. Um, I noticed that a lot of the people that were addicts that were on the street were people that were diagnosed schizophrenic, that were dealing with real life psychological issues that needed medication but didn't have maybe the financial capability in order to get those prescriptions filled. And so they turned to drugs in order to 
you know, put a Band-Aid on whatever it is that they're going through. So obviously these people needed psychological help. And a lot of these people, if you talk to them, are good people, but they don't have the means to sort of like get better because they don't have the money for it or they don't have the proper sort of guidance or therapy that is like helping them through that process. So you're right. I think a, a large part of those people are just people that are suffering with psychological uh, issues that need to be on medication. But a lot of what they'll say is because, you know, I can't get it. I have to turn to drugs in order to get me through it. You know? Yeah, those people generally need support and they can't get it. And yeah. it's unfortunate. The things that we do to just feel like some kind of peace or escape, you know, yeah. it's just kind of like, um, yeah, I feel bad, you know, for people that that have mental issues because it's just incredibly underfunded and it's not researched enough and it's kind of stigmatized and people are just kind of shunned, right? Like yeah. people, people are just like, oh, well, they're not meant worth mentioning. We don't worry about them. And then, you know, there's all this violence and shootings and stuff. And people ask why it's like, because you're not paying attention to what's actually happening. Right. Yeah. Like those people need the most support and you act like they don't exist. Yeah. It's like, we don't know what to do with those people, especially like in Los Angeles. And also it sort of like seen a rise during the pandemic. I remember seeing uh, just recent footage of like Venice Beach or like Echo Park. I guess mm -hmm. now they've turned so into bad. like these really large villages or of uh, like uh, homeless people. And it's hard to know what to do to them, uh, what to do with them. And I think it's just a result of like a, a failed sort of government system that we're a part of. Like we don't have the money, you know, where are we going to get the money to, to, to help these people? And so because they've sort of like are caught in sort of like a gridlock as to like not know what to do, they just sort of, just allow it to happen, you know? And I think that creates a lot of stress and anxiety for the people that live, you know, local to where they are. And I understand, like, if you have a family and you got two kids, last thing you want is to just see, you know, uh, that <clears throat> uh, drug, uh, like, like drug use in front of your house, you know, like where your, your, your child's playing, you know what I mean? So it's like a much deeper issue. It's really difficult to know how to go about it. But I think as it pertains to this conversation, I think, like you said, a lot more, a lot more work needs to be done, and um, a lot more compassion needs to be had for these type of people because um, they could have just had really difficult upbringings and they could have had just um, been dealt a really bad hand. So I think it's always important to just remain compassionate and understanding and help when you can, but not automatically just pass judgment on these people because, you know, they're still human beings. Most definitely. Like all it took for me is to be seen by one person to realize that I can create impacts, you know, like that one person who decided to take a chance on me and like, yeah. trust me and yeah. like me be at her house. You know, it was just like, wow, this lady took a giant risk. You know, I could have been anybody. I could yeah. have been, you know, I could, I could have still had ill intent with people. I could have still been a drug addict, but she decided to take that chance. And like, those people are rare. Those people like I don't know how I bumped into her or how it happened, you know, like obviously my art had an impact and I realized like I could communicate like on a larger scale through art because of those moments. Yeah. But it's like most people just need someone to have them be seen, you know? That's true. I 100% agree with that. I remember when I was doing, I, I worked at a, at a, this nonprofit that would feed like the homeless and it was uh, in, down in Riverside and how this program worked is that we would go out there um, every Sunday with food to like this park. And a lot of the transients and the homeless people in the area knew that it was happening. So they'd always go for like a meal. And a part of the work was like interfacing and engaging in conversation with these people 
And I remember sparking up conversations with a few of those people. And a lot of them just seem so surprised whenever somebody actually wants to sit down and have a conversation with them, right? And we think because we just live our regular everyday lives that it's just as easy as, you know, walking into a a store and being able to spark up a conversation with somebody. But these people, they go through their entire days walking the streets. Not one person acknowledges them. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, most people pretend like they don't even exist, right? And all of us have been guilty of doing that to some degree. Some of it has to do with, one, we don't know how to approach people like that. We don't know what to do in that situation. Uh, We're also met with our own fears of, you know, not wanting to be homeless or not wanting to affiliate ourselves with drug addiction or homelessness. So we've all been that person. But I noticed when I would have conversations with these people, all they were looking for was for somebody to just acknowledge the fact that they exist. All they wanted was for someone to look at them and be like, invalidate the fact that they exist too, you know? It reminds me of when I was little, like in third grade, um, I was in East LA growing up and I would save all my, like, we had like free meal tickets, like for the school program. And like, I noticed that like, you know, I wouldn't eat all my meals, my, 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 uh, my peers or whatever, my classmates wouldn't eat all their meals. So I decided to like rally them up and like say, can I have your meal ticket? Or like, you know, they get like a, a, some snack or whatever. They'd have extra food. I would like put it in my backpack. And then at the end of the day, like there would be like this homeless uh, family that would mm-hmm. live like underneath a freeway underpass. And I would like open up my backpack and give them the food. Mm-hmm. And it was like the most humbling experience for this man, right? Like this yeah. guy has like adult guy has like a family has children. And here I am a little girl giving like, oh, yeah. like, you know, a whole family food, like something that they need so much. But at that moment, like they need someone to just acknowledge their presence, you know? Yeah. So it helps like every little bit helps. Yeah, it definitely helps. You never, never know how you're going to change somebody just by talking to them, you know? Like, we'd be surprised at how many people don't acknowledge the fact that those people exist. And you can be that one person that just changes, that that just turns it all around for them. For sure. You know what I mean? Like you, like you said, like this person just came out of nowhere and this person just believed in you. And maybe that's what we need. We just need someone to believe in us for a moment, especially after we've come from such a traumatic experience. And to have that person believe in you even for a moment can kind of get the gears rolling into like, okay, I'm a human being. I'm being acknowledged as a human being. I exist. I still have a chance to make some sort of impact and change my life around, you know? And so you're saying that she was sort of like that opportunity for you to move forward. Most definitely. Yeah. I don't know how it would have played out. And yet, like if those things didn't happen, I feel like so I could have been frozen in the snow for all I know, you know, like I was in a bad spot, but I believed that, you know, there were still good people out there. Yeah. And I just needed someone to believe in me too. Yeah. And it's like a really, it's a really beautiful thing. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that some people have the upbringings that they have, but you know, the, the silver lining behind why we experience difficult experiences is that we understand compassion, right? Like we were taught compassion through uh, the struggles that we ourselves find ourselves in. Like I grew up very poor, right? And I also grew up, um, with a father that was an addict. So I had to learn patience. I had to learn compassion. I had to learn what it really meant to like believe in somebody, even though they didn't believe in themselves. And although it was really painful at the time, I think it equips people like me or you to be compassionate over these type of people because you know what it's like to be in their situation. 
right? Like, you know what it, you know what it means, you know what it feels like to not have anybody, you know, uh, trust you or, or, you know, what it likes, you know what it's like to be on both sides of the fence. You know what, it, you know what it's like to be the one who hurts and then the one that has hurt other people. And I think it's like a really important lesson to learn because I think that's how we learn how to correctly love ourselves and how to love other people and understand compassion, you know, how to value yourself and others. Because at that moment I didn't really think about, you know, the, the grand scheme of things. It was just what I wanted in that moment. And just, just that moment mattered. And then at that point I realized like how important it is to have people who care about you and preserving those connections. Because without that, like, what do you really have? Yeah. Yeah. So you, 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 you got clean Mm -hmm. and you had that situation happen and I imagine like that was probably like not even half the battle, right? Because you were, were, were you still acknowledging in that moment that you were an addict that needed to kind I, of take on more healthy behaviors in order to prevent yourself from going back into that place? I saw myself as a blank slate at that point because I yeah. lost everything, right? Yeah. Everybody who I had connections with didn't want to be in my life anymore. And that was like a hard pill to swallow, you know, even if I tried to make amends, they're like, I don't trust you. And I'm like, I really don't blame you. You know, like I understood that. I was like, that was my choice, I guess. Like, that's what I decided to do. Decided to take you for granted. And I see the value of connection, you know, through that. So I decided to start fresh. I was like, all right, this is my opportunity to create who I want to be, who I actually want to be, not who I like have other people perceive me. That's not who I am. It may be, you know, obviously those who I was at that time, like that's the result of that, but I have the opportunity to always start a new chapter. Yeah. So I decided to just rewrite it. So was it because that situation was so traumatic for you? I mean, obviously like going to jail is very traumatic. Like everything that you lost because of that experience was very traumatic. Would, was that a situation where because you didn't want to go through that again, you didn't even think about drug use anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was it was pretty motivating to not want to be in that situation anymore because I mean, I thought to myself, it can get worse, you know. There oh. there there technically is no rock bottom. It's just how deep how deep do you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> and I had enough at that point. I was like, I lost so much already. I don't I I can't afford to lose anymore. I don't want to lose anymore, you know. I thought to myself, this is my opportunity to to make things better or keep going and it doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know. And that's good. That's good that you didn't go through that struggle of like trying to stay clean. It seemed like it was a really, really clear path for you at that time. Sometimes it takes that, right? Like getting (laughs) to the absolute bottom. And, you know, we think we have a perspective of how deep, like you say, you can go, but it can go just unfathomably deep, you know? So it's cool that you were able to overcome that. So from that point on, once that person helped, like what was life for you after that? Like what was life like rebuilding your life? Did you... Um, you know, like repair your relationships with other people, your friendships and your connections with them? For the most part, they were all gone as far as friendships, you know. Um, My family, like it took a while to rebuild the connections, to build that trust. But for the most part, anyone who I considered a friend was gone. And I thought to myself, like, this is my opportunity to reinvent myself. So like, it's up to me, you know, what, how I want that to look. I try to make amends, but it's okay. Like they, it was understandable that they didn't, trust me, you know, and like I had to respect that. So I thought to myself, like, I know the value of friendship now, you know, I know what it is to, I know what not to do basically in order to keep people around. And, um, it was a lesson, you know, and I took that with me. So the next people that I met, I didn't 
treat them like that. I didn't take them for granted. Yeah. It was just kind of like, I understand how valuable trust is, you know? And once it's gone, like it's hard to repair, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just had to like see it as a new opportunity to keep, to keep going. Yeah. And during that time, did you have, cause I, like, like I know you now present tense, like you're, you're a very spiritual person, right? There's this, like that, that dimension of your life is very present for you. At that time, did you have that sort of like underlying energy? Was that something that was a part of your life at that time? Not at all. I just, um, I thought to myself, like, there was no God. Like, if God existed, I wouldn't be in this situation kind of deal, you know? It yeah. kind of was just like, how dare, like, like, I put a lot of, like, I put, I don't know, I put the blame on somebody else, essentially, right? Another yeah. thing aside from me, it wasn't like the, the, the course of my actions or anything. Yeah. It was just like... Um, I kind of was just like, there, like, it wasn't something to focus on at the time. I was, my life was just so unbalanced and chaotic. Like I, I really had no type of grounding force kind of. Oh, yeah. So it was just kind of like, I was just starting with me and feeling safe and yeah. just making sure that I was okay. You're you know? just trying to get yourself out of that flight or fight right. sort of response, right? Yeah. You're just trying to like get your feet on the ground and ground yourself into something that was more secure so that you weren't just all over the place. Right. right? And so, yeah, so that, that wasn't even like a, a part of that realm yet. So like, what did that look like? Did you, as a, like, what did you do to kind of rebuild your life during that time? I mean, I just had to like, as simple as it sounds, like learn how to be a human again, you know, like, like instead of, um, chase a drug, like I would be okay with like feeling every feeling, you know, and like oh, really yeah. sitting down with them and just being like, okay, this is what this feels like. I'm not trying to escape anything. I'm just accepting every moment that happens. So it was just kind of like surrendering to whatever was. And I was, before that, I was just kind of running away from everything, like avoiding responsibilities, right? Just yeah. like acting like it didn't matter. But now it's just embracing it all at any, at any cost, right? Just yeah. like I'm here for it now. <laughs> it's interesting how like like you were saying when you were when you were an addict and how it changed your perspective of life like it 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 made sex so much better, like so much better. And so when you're on that sort of like, you know, in the clouds and you're just feeling that just euphoria and that bliss for so long and then coming having to come right back down to reality, that feeling of having to completely relearn how to be a human being seems like like something that really needs to happen, right? Like how did that impact like your relationships, right? I mean, it dulled things out for sure, right? Because it was just like incredible highs and incredible lows. But then like sex just didn't even seem important to me at that point. I was like, I had the best sex that I could possibly imagine, right? Like like physical like attributes, like I got the hottest guys. I had the most incredible sex. Like yeah. it was very shallow and superficial, like looking back at it now. But, you know, it, it made me reevaluate what I thought was important in my life to begin with. It was just kind of like... Well, obviously I had the best sex already, so what's next? <laughs> you know, like I was just kind of like, I have to like think about it more deeply than that because that already happened and I'm never going to get that high. So now I just, you know, find value in different things. Like, so now like when I look for a partner, I think to myself, like, they can't just look good. You know, they have to be good for me. They have to be like, yeah. it's a mind, body, and soul connection. And before it was just body, right? Yeah. So now it's like more encompassing, more well-rounded, more suitable, more like healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's really, really interesting. Like it's, 
how we learn through going the complete opposite direction first. And that, that you're absolutely right. Like that addiction is like a purely physical sort of endeavor, you know, right? So it was like void of that spiritual aspect of it. Completely. I was so selfish. <laughs> yeah. And that, that part didn't even come out yet. And, you know, when you look back, like when we like retroactively look back at those experiences, at least for me, I can, it makes sense why I would have chosen a path like that. Right. Especially where I'm at right now in my life. And I'm still very much learning about myself, about God, spirituality and stuff like that, just like you are. But I'm really, really grateful for where I'm at with the understanding of, you know, love and, and compassion and stuff like that, because I know that I would have never been able to get to that place if not for these experiences. That's the one thing that I noticed about some people is that they completely demonize their trauma. Like they completely demonize the struggles that they've gone through and they resist ever going back there. Like there are people and, you know, I have a lot of compassion for them. And there are some people that just don't want to put their hand on like a wound out of fear that it may open again. Mm. And, you know, I feel like it's really important that we change our relationship to how we see our trauma and look back and show appreciation for everything that we went through because of what it allowed us to wake up, uh, awaken to, you know what I mean? Yeah. There is a lot of, there's a lot of depth now in my life. Now I can appreciate all aspects of it. And, you know, I had a bit of resistance even coming into this, like thinking to myself, like, how are people going to perceive me if like they know all the bad parts, right? It's, it's more, it's not about that. You know, I don't want to live with a mask. I don't want to like just have a, like one facet of my life and it's just being happy and like, here I am just doing good things. And I just have a positive outlook. Like we're so much more like multidimensional than that, than to just have one aspect, right? Because it's, it's not, true. it's not, it's not true. Like it's not, it's not accurate. It's not all encompassing. It's just one perspective, right? Yeah. And we're so much more complex than that. Way more complex. You know, I I think of the reasons why people get into spirituality. At least from my experience, being like a sound healer, or even just being on this podcast, or even just reading the books and my own just personal life experience. The reason why people get into spirituality is because they've typically had traumatic experiences in their past, right? People that have just had good lives, they're too busy just having a good life, yeah. right? They're just, they're, they're going through the motions and that's their karma and that's, that's what they have been assigned to do. But all the people that I've met along my path in this journey are people that are trying to heal from the type of past that you've had, the type of past that I've had. So people that you don't, don't always get into this arena. Um, they, 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 they all have one thing in common, which is like they've all experienced really challenging things in their life. And it made me realize, just even in my own experience, that nobody, nobody is void of challenges and struggle and trauma in their life. So this idea that like there's somebody out there that have just had a 100% amazing life is complete bullshit. Or they're really boring. <laughs> yeah, or they're really boring. There's no depth there, right? Yeah. Like it, it, I'm realizing now in my 30s that there isn't one person that I know that hasn't experienced a fucked up childhood, you know, that hasn't experienced like some level of trauma or some level of just sadness or loss or things like that because every human being is designed the same way. Like we experience everything collectively together as one sort of energy permeating the world. So wherever one person does something, that is another person is affected by it. Like it's all intertwined into this like large web of just consciousness, exploring life, right? And all learning from it, like each other. Ultimately, fundamentally, that's God just looking through the lens of different people, like 
trying to learn about itself through its interaction with other people. So I noticed like whenever, you know, it's easy to see one person's journey as their own, but a lot of the trauma you experience is a lot of like, it is, is symbolic and representative of the trauma that we all collectively experience in life. Cause we're all a part of this, what Carl Jung calls the collective unconscious, right? Like the, the, the pain and the struggle of our humanity is worked into the fabric of how we're raised you know, like, like violence and, 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 and darkness and shadow and love is all something that we all collectively move through in different ways. So I'm just, just trying to say that, you know, that idea of the perfect life doesn't exist. It's definitely all connected and we're all affected by it. And it's one thing to pretend it doesn't exist and, you know, just like a homeless person. And it's another one to embrace your shadow or the person going through a hard time and like embracing it because it affects everybody. Yeah. It's like Carl Jung calls it the process of individuation, right? He has like these two sides of the coin that we have, which is the anima and then the animos. These are like our, in a symbolic way, our masculine and our feminine energies, but also our understanding and then our ignorance of things, which can be like our light and our dark. And I, <clears throat> from my experience, just, you know, throughout life, it's, it's, it's really about integrating those two, right? It's like accepting the fact that you have this shadow and, not turning away from it. Because I noticed that all the fear and all of like the, the pain that I'd ever felt had to do with my resistance to those things, right? It had to do with my resistance and, and thinking that life was just all sparkling and rainbows all the time. It was harder to uh, sustain that perspective than it was to just accept all of it. Because, it's a lot of work. <laughs> right, it's a lot of work because when you, when you want life to just be perfect all the time, you're, you're dealing with a lot of elements that are pulling you away from that. You're also, you're also walking away from a part of life that is also like exists to help you develop meaning uh, in the life that you live. Like you need these dark aspects of life in order to understand sometimes things like love or compassion. So it's like if you are only accepting your light, you're not your shadow. You're all, always walking around like you're half a person all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you're always walking around as if you're fragmented. And so for me, a lot of my healing came as a result of me accepting my shadow and accepting the parts about me that I don't like. And then by being able to do that, I'm able to accept the parts and others that I don't like as well. And so if that acceptance exists and that I think fundamentally is what compassion is. It's like understanding that every single person is on their own journey to learn whatever it is that they need to learn. And that other person is also you at the same time because they also go through the same happiness, sadness, pain. That person goes through it the same way. So we're just looking at all of these different things through just different lenses. I see it like a video game. Like we're all playing the same game, but we're in different levels and stages. And it's like silly to like judge someone on the level they're at. Cause you're like, you've been there too. Don't act like you haven't, (laughs) or you will be there, you know, like we'll have to deal the same struggles, the same game, but just in different scenarios and variations and our characters look different. Yeah. And some of us have like the Konami code, like the cheat codes in order to get by. (laughs) Yeah. How dare they? The 1%. (laughs) You know, this like next level boss that you're about to go on or you write down this code, you're going to like type this password in so that you can kind of get past it. Like we all have our own sort of ways of beating the next level boss. We have our cheat codes. (laughs) We have our, we have our own cheat codes. Okay. So I imagine that after that experience, that art became probably one of the biggest things that helped 
you and rebuilding your life and moving forward, right? Most definitely, yeah. I never, I never really took it seriously or saw it as profound until it profoundly affected my life, right? Like I had to like experience it for myself. Like I always appreciated it, like growing up and like you know I I draw I I would draw since I was like little and you know take electives and art class and stuff, but I never like really, like, I just saw that as like fun, you know, it was just a pastime. And then I realized like, I can actually like create bigger waves, you know, like actually change people's lives with art. And it changed my life most definitely. So I could see how like powerful it could be. So I just started like exploring different mediums and like really just testing the waters of like my expression, you know, and not limiting myself in that way. Cause it was like not only therapeutic to me, but it was also like people got, you know, like they would react to it in a way that I like I would never get before. And yeah. it was just like my favorite language at that point, right? Creativity is just like my favorite form of expression. Yeah. And it's also like maybe maybe it was like another form of like that woman believing in you and validating the fact that you exist, you know? I know sure. that like when I see a really amazing piece of artwork and it's able to reach in and pull out different emotions in me that weren't that that weren't there before or or allowed me to imagine life as a very specific way and i tell the artists that made the work like wow this art was unbelievable it's beautiful like i i you you take so much from it i imagine that was very validating for you most definitely yeah and there was just different ways to go about it you know and now and now i see the the biggest result with my readings but i also think it's just a form of creativity you yeah. know like it's it's storytelling, it's visual, but it's also helpful. So it's just like accumulation of all the things that like I was told throughout my lifetime that I'm naturally good at. And that's that's the best part that we can all do that, right? We can yeah. all just like sit down, write what we're naturally good at, make a list. And even if it sounds frivolous to you, just yeah. like write it down, you know, and then make like make a like once you have your list, just like combine it and just play with the possibilities of like what can you do with these things? Yeah. I feel like every single person has something that they're good at, right? And I think that sometimes becomes very obscured by what people think that they should be doing based right. off of their peers and based off of their community, right? Yeah. Because I know a lot of people right now that are looking for meaning and they're engaged in lots of things that they're not even passionate about. Like they're engaged in things that they think that the other people want them to do. Like for example, like social media or like, being influencers or doing something. And I see some of these people do blindly doing it, not getting what they want out of it. And the way that I see it is like God or source assigned each one of us with very specific talents. And if we're tapped into our own, you know, our, our own spirit and our own intuition, we can find out what that is. It may not be something that you even thought that you'd be good at. Right. It could be something even just as like subtle as like being able to crochet, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it could be something just as random as like, you know, like collecting coins or something, you know, like some, there's something, everybody has something that they can de- like delve passion from something that they enjoy doing. And I feel like, um, once we tap into that and, and you're able to sort of power the ship in that way, I feel like that's, that's, that can be its own sort of journey in itself, just like it was for you. Yeah, I had to let go of a lot of, you know, uh, social programming and conditioning of what society deems as successful or respectable, like just because like, you know, somebody doesn't think it's like a real job or, you know, doesn't think like it's, it's valuable or means anything doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you should take their word. Like that's their truth and you can go ahead and respect their truth, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be yours. It's true. 
I, I agree 100%. That's what I'm talking about too, right? Is that like anytime we're faced with something, especially create, create, creativity-wise, because a lot of like our Western culture, they see it as a sort of like secondary, right? It's more trivial things. They, they look at things that like, like more mainstream things, like, oh, be a doctor or be an astronaut and those shit like that. That's obviously like what parents tend to want the best for their kids, but it's what their best is, right? It's not necessarily what the child wants. But I feel like creativity is always one of those things that's not necessarily frowned upon, but there isn't as much value placed on it. And that's very discouraging because I feel like we wouldn't have the world that we're in and we wouldn't have beauty and we wouldn't have uh, just all the, all the culture. Exactly. We wouldn't have culture if it wasn't for creativity, you know, that's it, what is like the richness of life. You know, it's yeah. the culture. It's not the, how the system made money. It's how did it appreciate life? Yeah. Yeah. And so there are like, I like, think like a lot of like uh, artists are like these unsung heroes. Like they're the voice of humanity like they're the voice of our culture and i think going a little bit more mainstream i think like comedians come fall into the same the same realm like they're taking people that i i notice that are like creative like artists they're taking all these different complex emotions that seem to be permeating the civilization of people and they extract it and they translate it in such a way that it can be understood um because sometimes those emotions and those feelings can't be properly conveyed with words. So you have to have things like creativity in order to like be able to bring that culture and that like beauty into life. So I feel like like creative types really need to exist. Most definitely. You know, but they're just, they're, 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 they're just, you know, they're not, I feel like they should be, I feel like nowadays they're a lot more accepted than they were back then. You know, I feel like we have more of a, um, a sphere for that type of thing to exist now. We're getting more progressive, but we still have a ways to go. <laughs> yeah, I still have a ways to go. So when you when you uh, approach your art, is it ever like a uh, is the intention ever to like communicate a story of what your past was like or what it was like maybe overcoming addiction or is it just tapping into another place? It's just what I feel needs to be expressed. It's not necessarily a story. Yeah. It's just an expression of, it's like a release. Yeah. And what that release looks like is just what that emotion feels like. But I tend to go abstract. So it's just colorful and patterns. So it's, 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 you can't really see them. Like maybe you can feel the, like the feel of the, the vibe of what it is I'm doing, but it's not necessarily like, Oh, I could definitely see what you're going through. Yeah, like when you're when you're making art, like what does that process look like? Are you just completely present in the flow state, or is there like a certain ritual or a certain way that you like to approach your art before you go about doing it? It's just a thoughtless process. Yeah. It's just kind of like it take. It's like meditating. It's yeah. like it takes you somewhere and you stay there until you're done, and it just feels like a release. But that that release feels good. It feels necessary, and it doesn't feel like you can have that release any, uh, any other way. So it's kind of like, um, it's therapeutic. It's like very meditative, right? Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way when it comes to different things that I make, especially sometimes when it even comes to podcasting. Um, there's a lot of preparation that is involved, but I find a lot of the time when I'm having conversations like this with other people, I'm completely engaged with what I'm doing. I'm not necessarily thinking about too much into the future or too much into the past. And I think there's some respite that you get from being in the creative space, which is that like your mind takes a backseat, especially if you're somebody that's prone to negative thinking or if you're somebody that their mind is constantly racing. 
I find that when you're engaged in the flow state, maybe in your situation, if you're sitting down with art, you have that period of time when you are just present with what you're doing. You're not bombarding yourself with, you know, uh, emotional or, or, uh, you know, thought type of images. You're just being in the moment. And I find that in the moment, especially meditation, are some of the most tranquil spaces to be. And that's where you're saying yeah. more or less that you go, right? Yeah, it's meditative. It's just um, all feeling and no thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. So if, if you guys haven't seen Lizzie's artwork, it, it, there's so many dimensions to it. It can be very abstract. It can be very cohesive. So you can definitely see your personality in it. But one thing that I noticed about your arc as you progressed over time uh, is that maybe I didn't even realize at the time that you were making your own sort of form of Oracle cards. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> like you were making your own form of like tarot mm-hmm. cards because there's a lot of sim- symbolism in your work, right? And there's a lot of things that you could just look at your piece and extract something from your own life, which is exactly what you're saying people do with your art. It is subconscious, right? Like it triggers different parts of us. Yeah. And art is subjective. So I, yeah. could, I could definitely see that. Yeah. yeah. And so it made sense how, you know, you would slowly evolve into, you know, you're still an artist and you've gone through lots of different, I've been to your galleries and I've, I even own pieces of your art and I've seen how that art has progressed and how you, uh, the type of energy that you put into it, but to see how really into tarot and oracle cards you're in now and i think when we last talked that you were in the process of making your own deck right it makes sense how you would have transitioned into that point because you know you can look at a piece of your artwork and see different symbols in the same way that somebody would see you know spirit animals or um, synchronistic numbers like you can see you can pull that sort of symbolism from your cards and give yourself a reading just by looking at it you know that's true. I never, I never even thought about that, <laughs> but you're so right. Yeah, I can totally see it. And that is a direction I ultimately want to go. Like, I'm not really rushing that process. Like, it has to feel absolutely right to me. But I do eventually, can, I can see myself creating an Oracle deck because, I mean, I love them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you have, like, uh, some favorite decks that you have? It's hard. It's you have so, so many, hard. Right? I mean, they all serve a purpose, right? But yeah. I, I tend to gravitate, like I love animals and I tend to gravitate towards like spirit animals because I love like, like we can learn so much about animals just in nature itself, right? Mm-hmm. Like the evolution process and how they adapted and how like, you know, how they learn to survive is how we can also learn to survive. Yeah. Um, so I love like, cause I watch like nature, nature documentaries and stuff like yeah. that. Like instantly I think to myself, Oh yeah, that's something I learned. I can also say this about this. Right. Cause we yeah. can, we can learn from anything. Right. But especially nature. Yeah. I think. This is a really good segue because this is something that I was thinking about. <laughs> and uh, it, this is something that I think occurred for you during the pandemic, but even before then. So you, you ran into a, uh, a really interesting experience that I think probably changed the trajectory of how you live your life in a lot of ways. And I was always been really curious about this story because um, I've never, it's a very, very unique story, right? So you ended up the, 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 I guess the short end of the story and I'll let you actually tell it. You ended up making friends with an animal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And what was the animal's name? Frida. Frida. So mm-hmm. tell me about that. So this was a, a chicken. Yes. So right. she's um, she was found in a park and she had a broken leg. So she was left for dead, basically. Um, and I, you know, obviously felt bad. So I took her 
didn't know what to do with her. I was just like, I'm going to figure out a way because she's so cute. Um, and she's not like, she wasn't a typical chicken. She was the size of a pigeon. So most chickens are like eight pounds and she was like less than a pound. So totally little tiny defenseless creature. And I obviously just felt so bad for her. I was like, uh, I'm going to try. I don't know what to do. Wait, so she was in this park, mm-hmm. right? Somebody abandoned her? Yeah, she was just hiding in a bush. So she didn't like fall from a tree. No. She didn't like jump over somebody's fence. Like she was just, somebody left her there. I think so. She got injured and she was tr- just trying to hide from whatever she got hurt from. What was her What was her injury? Um, a leg, like she broke her leg. She broke her leg. I think, yeah. And do you think that her leg had already been broken or was it because maybe somebody threw her out like a car or something? It's hard to say. Like something yeah. hurt her, right? I don't yeah. think she did it to herself. Like yeah. most animals don't inflict pain on But them. it wasn't something she was born with. Right, yeah. I see. So you can tell that it was like an injury of some sort. Yes. So I took her in, didn't even have a cage for her or anything, but I decided to myself, like even that day when I was eating dinner, like something that I just don't think about. I was eating chicken and I looked at the chicken and I was like, I looked at her and I was like, this is kind of rude, you know, like I don't want to eat chicken in front of you. Like I just met you and you're going to think I'm a cannibal or something. (laughs) So I just was kind of like, all right, I'm going to do this for you. Like I'll respect you because as long as I have you, I don't want you to think that you can't trust me, you know? And like, that might sound silly, but that was just kind of like the way I would show respect to her, you know? And I just wanted her to, her to trust me. Yeah. So, um, but but when you took the animal home, right? So when you went and picked her up, she just, she just allowed you to pick her up. Totally submissive. She was okay. Totally trusting. And then you just took her in and then you brought her home. Mm -hmm. And what was that process? Like the first night? Um, it was, like uh, exciting, I guess. I mean, I tried to make her comfortable, didn't really have anything for her. And then I started researching like what chickens needed and just wasn't really sure if he was, if she was even going to make it the night, you know, but I was just trying to figure it out. Like I was just so like focused on like, what can I do for you? Right. So I kind of just like researched and I made her comfortable. Like I ended up building her a coop and I put like a little yoga mat underneath so she could have support and um, her leg eventually mended. I mean, she was kind of like, like not a fully mobile chicken, but um, she, she was able to get around and she was comfortable. So I basically like, she just became like my best friend, my adventure buddies. So we just ex- like enjoyed and explored life together. She had a very unusual life. Like I would have, um, I got a pet carrier for her and I would take her to the beach. I'd have picnics. Like she was in this music video. Like she was she, in a music video. Yeah, yeah. She had a, like, she was so cool. Right. So chill. Like she, I could take her anywhere and she never packed anybody. Like people would approach her like, is that a chicken? Like, do you have a chicken? Can I pet her? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, was it a hip hop music video? N- <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it was just like on like, on like the hood of like an Impala. Just no. like <laughs> she has really, it's a really, really abstract like music, it was like a music video. Oh, I see. But um, yeah, she was in it, and that was fun. <laughs> That's so cool. So you used to just uh, like carry her around with you, like mm-hmm. in her carrier and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So what are like some things that you you notice? Because I, you know, a lot of people, you know, how we coexist with chicken is is something that we eat, right? Right. A lot of people when they make dinner, they're not thinking about the chicken. They're not thinking about the life that it may have lived. They're not thinking about where it was raised whether or not it has a personality, for the most part, I think our society is conditioned around seeing chickens as food, you know? And so this is one thing that I, you know, I I always like hope and anticipate that like people really consider when it comes to eating any animal, 
which is, you know, if you're going to eat an animal, whether or not it's a cow or whether or not it's a chicken, to like, you pay respect to the animal by acknowledging the fact that it took its life for you. Yeah. You know, that there's this animal that has its own way of living its life, its own needs, its own emotions, the own, its own unique way that it, it lives. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it isn't intelligent. Right. So I feel like as long as you're, you know, you're, you're paying respect to the animal in that way and you're not losing sight of that, then if you're going you know, to go in that direction, go in that direction. But as it pertains to our conversation is a lot of people don't see the animal when they eat it. Mm-hmm. They just see it as like it comes in a package and it supplies me with food. So how did she change her relationship to, to that, like owning her? Like, did you see a, a certain personality that she had, different ways that you were able to like connect with her? Um, yeah, she definitely had a personality. But I noticed like certain things, like I would observe her and I noticed like her eyes were, they look like little camera lenses, you know, they would like focus in and out like a camera lens does. And I was like, my eyes don't do that. I mean, not at that capacity, right? Like it was like a professional camera. And I was like, why is that? You know, what's going on? And, you know, naturally like chickens are, preyed upon by everybody. So their eyesight has to be incredible. Like how else would it survive, right? Right. So I noticed that like chickens or birds in general, like they have greater eyesight than they see colors that we can't see. They see sunlight. They see, they have a third eye apparently that like the third eye, like on top of their head can like- Chickens do? Yes. Whoa, I didn't even know that. Yeah, they have a third eye. Is it on that red, that little red fin that they have? No. No, it's like right before it, before the comb. It's like a spiritual third eye. No, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But it's kind of like chickens can see auras, but it's sunlight. So it's like another dimension for them, right? Like it's another way of like, like we can see colors, like they can see sunlight. So it's just like another layer that they, that we can't perceive, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? Because sunlight exists and um, chickens eat like, um, plants generally. So they have to be able to notice the healthiest plants. So that's why they, there's a purpose to why they can see sunlight. Cause it's like how they survive. Whoa. So that, that's the purpose of the third eye. Yeah. Cause they're able to, to see auras and they're able to like gauge light a certain way. Yeah. It's for survival. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. It's are, pretty cool. <laughs> are there, um, any other things that they, that you noticed about her just owning her? Um, she actually enjoyed watching TV. Really? Like she would peck at things. Oh so, my God. um, cause like whenever, you know, you have like a cat or a dog that you think they're watching TV, but they're, they don't perceive things the same way. Like they can't really see depth or dimensions. Like they, yeah. it's kind of just like flat. They Cause they're seeing with, they're seeing, are they seeing with one eye at a time usually? I'm not sure, but I know that they can't really, they don't see it like we do. Yeah. Right. But like chickens, they see way better. So like. I would watch like the Twilight Zone with her and she'd be like pecking at it. And it was the cutest thing ever because I didn't know that like, you know, chickens actually like TV. And um, the strangest thing that I realized that that took me totally by surprise is that like she loved to cuddle with me and like nuzzle me. And like I had no idea. Like the first time she did that, it like melted my heart. I was like what is this? Like, is this some phenomenon with just her, you know? And then I Googled it and it was just like, I see other chickens cuddling. And I was like, like they walk up for the cuddle. They, yeah. She would walk up and then like, I would kind of like, like well, she, my, she, oh, would, she would hobble up. She would right? hobble up kind of yeah. and fly, like use her wings a bit. Oh, I see. And then like, I would kind of like, like, cr- like do like, like cradle thing. So she would like go into it and then I'd put like my hair over her and she'd like nuzzle in my, in my hair and close her eyes. And it was like the cutest thing ever. And like, she would try to come up to my neck to like put her face or like her head here. 
and then just like hide in my hair and like cuddle. Like that's cuddling in my opinion. Yeah, that's totally cuddling for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was the cutest thing ever. And then I thought to myself, wow, like, like I like to believe that most animals like like to be treated nicely and, you know, be shown affection. And maybe we all have different capacities of that, of like what that is to each animal. But like, I know all animals want to be treated with respect, you know, like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't think they enjoy pain. Like we don't enjoy pain. Yeah, I don't think any animal wants to die. Right. You know what I mean? And I think it's just a part of our society. Like it's just because we don't understand them. We just assume that they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not like self-aware you know, or they're not like sentient creatures. And that's totally bullshit because they are. They just have their own way of doing things. And like, you know, I, I, you know, I like dolphins are really intelligent. Like I found out that like pigs are super intelligent. Like horses are like super unbelievably loyal to their owners. Like you learn these things later on in life, you know, like cows, you know, like have you gone online and seen what a happy cow looks like? They're just like running around the fields. They're like puppies. You, they're just like <laughs> little puppies, you know what I mean? And these are things that like aren't as widely sort of distributed amongst the tribe. But I think like once you spend enough time with animals, you can see that they are, they have their own ways. They have their own emotions, you know? Yeah. I think like the biggest thing that humbled me in regards to just animals in general is that like some of them have greater capacities than we do, you know? And like, it's so human to think like, oh, we're the top of the top and everything's below us, right? Everything's beneath us, so they serve us. Like, right. like we're in an ecosystem and we all have different capacities and we all adapted differently, right? So like, like I learned the other day that like whales have um, a greater range of emotions than we do. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, how wow. is that possible? Yeah. Like, no, I'm supposed to have the most emotions. And it's like so human to think that, right? Yeah. But like, there's a lot of things that are better than like, have a greater capacity, right? Like, it's, it makes sense if you think about it more, but yeah. it's just like, most people just don't think about it. Yeah, they don't think about it. And I think there's some guilt and there's some shame in in thinking about animals in that way because then that would mean that they'd have to change a lot of their behaviors, right? right? Like we would never hurt another human being because the first thing that we think of when it comes to humans is like they have a heart, they have emotions, they know how to love. Why would we ever hurt this? We look at we look at and like dogs and, and cats the exact same way. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like the, the weird sort of like counterintuitive way that we look at our pets is that they're essentially animals too. But we would never think about eating our dogs. We would never think about eating our cats either, right? Because there's a certain place inside of us that we've acknowledged that this cat and this dog have the ability to love us, right? Because we've spent enough time getting to know these animals to know that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's, a little, some, there's more reluctance around things like cows, around pigs, around chickens, because these are things that we eat. You know, and these are things a lot of people like find really delicious, you know, like by acknowledging the fact that these animals have sentience, that these animals are intelligence means that you will have to find another way, right? You will be forced into, you know, either being a vegetarian or being maybe a lot more mindful with the selections that you sort of like partake in when it comes to your dietary like life, you know, and I feel like a lot of people aren't prepared for that. I think that's just part of evolution, though, to acknowledge that we have the capacity to choose differently. And just because animals don't, and it's like, well, it's nature, like animals, animals in nature. Well, they don't have that choice. You know, they they have to struggle in that way to survive. Otherwise, they die and they go extinct. 
yeah. but we're humans and we actually have more options. Right. So like that's our evolutionary track. Like we have that power to decide where we want to go. Right. It's true. Like we have, we take on a different type of responsibility because we're aware of our behavior, you know? And I always come back to balance. Like if we were in the forest and we didn't have any other options, like I doubt that God would want you to die for your morals. You right. know what I mean? It's like if you're in the wild and you need to hunt an animal, do that. But the, the, there's a humbling thing about hunting your own food because you're going through the entire process of taking something's life. You know what I mean? You're like taking an animal's life, if anybody's ever experienced it, it is probably one of the most humbling experiences because you are responsible for that, right? right? There's a certain reverence and a certain like... Uh, energy you approach that with having known that this animal died because of you and so i feel like if people were more engaged with that then they would be a little bit more conscious of the things that they eat or the things that they put inside their body you know because there's like a really there's like a, a really depth there's like a really deep process involved in just engaging in that in general you know yeah i think a lot of it has to do with i mean the media right it's it's culture to think that like we need meat in our diet to be healthy or whatever, yeah. but it's just kind of like, just because it's reflected in such a way or marketed, right? Um, it's kind of like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best choice. Yeah. doesn't mean that it's the best choice. So it's, 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 I feel like we could all benefit from widening our perspective. And I feel like, I guess where our society is right now, I feel like even though it's a slow progression, I feel like people are starting to wake into that. You know, what's what's healthier for your body? Organic versus non-organic, you know, like cage-free versus not whatever. But I feel like people are starting to awaken. I mean, we didn't have vegans, so we, we didn't have vegans back in the 90s, you know, at least they weren't as pronounced much. back in the yeah. day. Vegetarians, I feel like people are starting to be a little bit more compassionate of animals. And maybe that has to do with how we've sort of deepened our relationship with our pets too. You know, I'm noticing now it's not just people with dogs and cats. It's like people with fucking hedgehogs and like <laughs> foxes and, and different other animals that we want to coexist with. So there seems to be some sort of like revolution or evolution happening in how we approach, you know, our relationship with animals. And I feel like that's a good thing, but I definitely still think that there are people out there that that need to be a little bit more conscious of uh, animals and their consumption of them, and just pr maybe practice balance more than anything. You know, never losing sight of the fact that this animal will give up its life for you. Yeah, I think um, to just realize that you're part of an ecosystem, yeah. and we need sustainability in our life in order to be able to maintain it is like another like point that people should think about, you know, it's not just consume, consume, don't think about the next generation or, you know, where your food comes from. It's just being aware of the impact that you're creating with every choice that you make. Yeah. And I mean, that, that, that's, that's another thing too, is like people don't realize that they're a part of that ecosystem, you know, like we, we tend to sometimes think of ourselves as separate than everything else that's around there. But it's like we, we lose sight of the fact that everything in nature is working alongside of us. Like it's, it's so easy to forget that this tree across the street is providing us with oxygen all the time. It's all connected. And if we didn't have that tree, we wouldn't have the ability to breathe. You know what I mean? Like the same thing with the soil and the same thing with the plants and the way that we nurture and care for them and things like that. It's all, like you say, this ecosystem. And it's crazy. That just sort of signifies how maybe out of, out of touch some people are with the nature that surrounds them. 
maybe because their focus is on something maybe a little bit more superficial, maybe something a little bit more materialistic, maybe something that involves, you know, just caring about yourself, you know? Like, I think we can all benefit from not forgetting the fact that, like, everything around us is here to support us, but we should also support it, nature, by nurturing it and caring it at the same time, you know? It's a delicate balance. A delicate balance. So your relationship with Frida, so she taught you a lot of different things. Yeah, she opened up my heart, <laughs> but um, it was unfortunate. Like, I only had her for, like, maybe three and a half years, and she suddenly, like, died out of nowhere, and I got really sad about that. How did and, that? How did that happen? Um, it was bizarre. Um, it was just kind of like I came home one day and I had like it was just out of nowhere. Like she was having difficulty breathing and like for the first time ever, she like pecked me. Like she, like I was like, whoa, she's not normal. She's out of her mind. Did. Yeah, like first time ever. And I was like, this is not normal. Like I instantly knew something was wrong. And then I like, you know, like just was holding her, not knowing what to do. And she, t- I saw her take her last breath, and I was devastated. I was like. Oh, so she like passed away in your arms. Yeah. So did you look up, and I don't actually don't even know this, how long a chicken lives for? Um, They can live a really long time. Um, They can live, I think, I mean, I think typically like, I think it's nine years. Nine years? A while, yeah. It's a long time. For a chicken, yeah. Did you ever figure out what happened? No idea. It was just bizarre. I have no idea. But at that moment, I had a choice like... I was like, okay, I can go back to eating chicken because she's gone and I'm not like disrespecting her. But I, that felt so wrong to me. I was like, why would I do that? Like yeah. now that I know that this chicken has the capacity to like cuddle and love and like, you know, like appreciate life and watch and all TV. Chickens. Yeah, not just her, everybody. Like that's the way um, I honored her. And that's the way she lives on forever with me. Like I see a little piece of her in every single animal and I, th- I think to myself, like, why not, you know? So I decided to just, like, to honor her and to have her keep, like, alive in my memory. Like, I like she expressed, like, or she showed me such kindness and compassion that, you know, it lives on through the kindness that I, that I do by abstaining from, you know, eating any other animal. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, we, we've talked about, we've done a, an episode in the past about, like, soul contracts with animals. Oh, really? Right? <clears throat> like, I, I have this very deep spiritual connection with my cat. Jen had a really deep and spiritual connection with her dog, Sancho, and he unfortunately passed away recently. And we talk a lot about like, you know, sometimes there are animals that come into our lives that come to teach us very specific things, just like people do, mm-hmm. you know? And it, when we think back now, you know, if it happens to be an animal that passed away and we think back about the, the, the sort of legacy that the animal left on our hearts, and then we think back, we can find so many things that these animals actually taught us. So to think that like Frida just magically entered into your life by just randomly being at a park at the right place at the right time, went through that process of teaching you like so much about what it means to love, but also, you know, uh, what these animals really truly represent and what they're capable of. And then somehow just magically and mysteriously just take off, Yeah, you know? She's a shaman, chicken shaman. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's crazy to not think of that as sort of like a, a magical sort of a, a thing that just occurred, this mysterious thing. You know what I mean? Like, because you don't know how she got there in the park, okay. you know, and you don't know exactly why it is that she left so suddenly. If you knew that, you know, like chickens lived for nine years, it's almost like she came into your life with a very specific mission, and she taught you that. 
And then once you got a grasp on that, she was like, you know, my work here is done. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> it's time to go. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I, I told Jen this too, when her animal passed away, it's because she was so sad. Like she was just torn apart by it. And everybody goes through a process of mourning. Absolutely. But I told her like, you know, if Sancho were alive and this is stuff that, you know, we, we usually tell their people, they, they wouldn't want you to be happy. They wouldn't want you to be unhappy. The only way that these animals know you as is being happy, right? Because you brought joy, they brought joy into your life. So the best way to honor the animal is by just choosing every single day to live in that joy and, 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 and treat others as good as you treated them. You know, I feel like that's the best way that we can acknowledge these animals is by remembering how those animals made you feel and remembering what it was like to love that animal, but with other people. For sure. You know, yeah. and then that, that's the way that I want to see it. Like if my cat happens to pass away is that I want her to live in my heart by remembering how she made me feel and her inspiring me to treat others the same way, you know. Animals teach a lot. <laughs> they teach a lot. Yeah. It's just so crazy. It's just so crazy because, you know, it, it's not one of those things that we're taught really young. It's like you, like maybe dogs and, and cats, yes. But, you know, I go online and I can look at videos of foxes and hedgehogs and, you know, whales and dolphins. And they all have their own personalities. And I can see how they all add to the beauty of life just in their composition and the way that they look and the way that they behave and the way that they actually contribute to the ecosystem in the way that they do. And I'm like, man, these things, there's a reason why these animals exist. You know, like I've seen like uh, videos of like a, a girl playing violin for like orcas, you know what I mean? And like, uh, like where people are using dolphins as midwives during birth. Like there's really? this weird interesting energetic exchange that happens between animals and man and i'm i i want to know what you think about this too because i i i noticed from being vegetarian for like eight years that animals tend to know that you aren't a threat right and i feel like maybe at some point in our history we were able to peacefully coexist with animals i'm talking like millions and millions probably years longer than we can ever even fathom and at some point we were able to coexist with them in a cohesive way, but over millennia and thousands of years of us mistreating them, maybe the way that they react towards humans is a result of how bad we, treat, we treated them. Animals you know? can definitely, uh, like it's body language, right? They sense intent. They know, yeah. they know if you're like malicious or not. And I had a really strange encounter with a hawk where it was like shortly after Frida passed and I was in the park and I got like, I don't even know, maybe six inches away from a hawk, like eye level. Yeah. And I just approached it and it was just looking at me, observing me. And like, it could tell that I wasn't going to hurt it. You yeah. know, it was just kind of like examining me and I probably looked interesting to him. Oh, I but think I, I saw that photo. That yeah. You picked, you picked, you, it was you it. Yeah. I took like pictures and videos. And, and hawks don't normally let you get close like that. I mean, that. they have incredible eyesight. So he knew I was coming, you know, yeah. from a mile away. Right. And um, it was just kind of like, it It wasn't scared of me. Yeah. And I wasn't scared of them, even though they're, they got some, you know, crazy talons. talons and beaks and they can like, you know, rip up flesh. Like I wasn't scared of him. I, he wasn't scared of me. And like, it, I was like trying to like test him. I'm like, what if I like move my hand closer in this direction? Can I scare him? You know, I was, I was testing it. I was like, what's going on here? And like, it wasn't, it didn't see me as a threat. And I thought to yeah. myself, like, 
maybe that's Frida, you know, like maybe like she blessed me with like, like birds. <laughs> she communicated to the animal kingdom that you're not a threat. It's like, oh, she's cool. Don't worry about her. <laughs> I mean, think about it though. It's like uh, trauma is passed down to the generations, right? Like say you're a child that suffers abuse. It's likely because that parent was also abused, right? And so over time, the negative karma of that intrinsically is sort of flowing through your body. And so you just go through your life afraid. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you were a chicken or if you were a cow and all of your ancestors, you just experienced being killed just for thousands and thousands of years. Of course you would be afraid of human beings. Right. You know what I mean? Of course you would be afraid of humans. And so I wonder if like, you know, the, the reluctance that a lot of animals have towards, you know, being close with humans has to do with the trauma that we've imposed on them. I think so. I mean, there's like the Galapagos Islands where you're not allowed to touch any animals and they don't fear humans. Really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, so that's where Darwin like studied, you know, evolution and stuff. Wow. And um, he went there and he realized like the animals weren't afraid of him. Wow, so at some point in our history, we were able to like ride on the backs of tigers. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe, yeah. Like maybe we just had a greater like sense of understanding with one another, I believe. Yeah, I was like yeah. during Atlantis and Lemuria. You know <laughs> maybe. What I mean? like, instead of, like instead of just having domesticated like long hair cats, we just had like a tiger like sitting on our, our couch and our sofa with I us. I mean, I wouldn't be against it. <laughs> right? Maybe yeah. at some point we'll we'll get to that point. But... Yeah, that's a really interesting story, what happened with Frida. I don't know anybody else that's ever just had a chicken as a pet. And I was really fascinated on, <clears throat> fascinated by that journey that you went on. And I, I remember you actually posted that video of that hawk, and I was like, oh, this is another journey that's yeah. about to start. And I remember, <laughs> I remember like visioning in my mind, like, okay, now Lizzie's, like, this hawk is now her, her pet, and you're going to have her, like, just chilling on your I shoulder. <laughs> and you'd, like, go and have it do things for you, like pick up the mail or like uh, start your car or something like that? Next, next, next level. <laughs> <laughs> Some next level stuff. Yeah. But the hawk like ended up like flying away, right? Yeah, eventually. I like deliberately try to scare it away. I was like, what's going on here? But like it just flew to a tree and then it was just like still looking at me. But I've had other hawk experiences since then. So it's not just that one. It's, yeah. I think it's just my demeanor now. Like I feel like, I, like it's, you know, the number one language you first learn is body language. You yeah. know, it says so much more than words. Yeah. And I think like animals know that, you know, that's how we can communicate. And um, now I'm more aware of it, you know, what is a threat to a bird? What is a threat to a human? And once you like understand that more, like I can communicate without, you know, using words. Yeah. It's almost like your third eye is open and you're like <laughs> tapped into your intuition. I imagine you are because you're, you're doing a lot of like your oracle and tarot work. And a lot of that has to do with the psychic energy. And I always like to see psychic energy as like a really expansive force that can also just be something as subtle as reading language, like body language, you know? Sure. And I feel like if you're around animals and you're able to like tap in to their consciousness, um, then you could develop that sort of connection with them, you know? Definitely. So it's cool that it, it was able to like expand uh, your awareness with other animals. Just you know? life in general, understanding it in a whole new way. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be another animal that comes along I your hope, path. I hope so. I'm ready. You know, <laughs> if you were to think of another animal that you'd want to like kind of nurse back to health or have as like a little friend, you know what it would be? I've been wanting like a crow for a really oh, long time because they're, so really they, they're so smart. They're so smart. They're really smart. They, they're actually self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I remember seeing this video online of this uh, little girl that developed this relationship with this crow that just happened to live like on, that happened to just kind of hang out around her street. 
And this crow every single day would drop little trinkets in front of her door. Shiny things. Like shiny things. <laughs> and the crow started dropping like really fancy trinkets oh and, and it, it sort of like sparked the interest of like the parents Yeah, because it seemed like this crow was going into people's yards or going into people's houses and it would always like find things from the neighborhood and leave it on this, leave, like leave it with this little girl, like the bracelets and wow. necklaces and things like that. So like this crow had this affinity to this child. She didn't know why, but you know, that just shows you how intelligent that they are, you know? Yeah, and I and I heard that crows don't they don't forget a face, especially if it's um, somebody that has hurt them in some way. Yeah, I think most birds are like that. Like yeah. um, I noticed it in geese as well. Like there's this like I saw this lady. Um, I go to a park and walk pretty often there, and this crow. Um, I mean, sorry, this this goose was following this lady like a dog, and I was like, "What's going on?" You know, because these are all just wild geese that live at the park and it was following her around like a dog, you know, and like making sure nobody got cl too close to her. And I was like, what's going on? So I asked her like, why is this yours? Like what's going on? And she goes, no, like, um, I would come here in the past and like, there was like a fishing lake and like, um, there would be like people fishing and they would leave like their fishing wire or hooks. And then the geese would, you know, get caught up in it. And she helped them like get unhooked or untangled and, one goose specifically remembered that. And now whenever, like, it's not even hers, but like whenever she gets to that park, like he gravitates towards her and he makes sure nobody gets near her. Like, yeah, it's like that goose will always remember her no matter what. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. I've always wanted a crow growing up. Yeah. <laughs> that always just, just seems so cool, you know? Yeah. No, they're, yeah, they're really cool. <laughs> they're like really, really intelligent animals. But anyways, I appreciate you coming in and stopping by Lizzie. It's Thank been a really, really, me. really amazing time talking to you. It was such like an amazing story. You have like a, such an epic saga <laughs> that you came from like such a, a crazy place and you just sort of how were able to overcome that and use those experiences for good. And, you know, essentially like, you know, like, like really, really embodying being a healer to other people. You know, it's like reminds me of Carl Jung's archetype of the wounded healer. And that archetype is that one who goes through and experiences such trauma and has been through sort of like the depths of that has an obligation and a moral responsibility to help others through that as well. And I feel like that's sort of like the, the journey that you're going down. It's like I imagine you're channeling all of that and you're trying to help people um, navigate through those challenging situations too. Right? Most definitely, yeah. It's one thing to experience darkness and stay there and it's another to realize that there's still light on top of that and, and focus on that as well and embrace your darkness so you can help see, help others see their light in the darkness as well. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. So all of you guys, if you're with us at this point, you guys want to follow Lizzie, you can actually find her on IG under Technicolor Dreams. That's where she posts all of her work. You can see some of her artwork there. And uh, you could also probably book a reading through her on that, uh, on her IG as well, right? Yeah, just message me. <laughs> yeah, just just message you. I've gotten I've I've been fortunate enough to get a few readings from Lizzie. It's always very very intuitive, very powerful stuff. I always leave with something really important, something to consider. And uh, you know, the beautiful thing about my journey with Lizzie is that we've all me and her, we've kind of gone through our journeys together. We've kind of grown together. We've learned a lot of things together. I mean, we've even pissed each other off in, 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 in a lot of other situations, but that's just life, you know? 
we not go too bad, the, not too bad. Yeah, we, we, we go through the motions, but she, she will always be soul family oh. and we'll always have, you know, that, that connection between us. So I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast. If you guys are listening, you could, uh, if you're a new listener, of course, you can find us on Instagram at Divine Nobody's Podcast. If you guys have any inter- uh, any questions or have any recommendations on topics, you could also send me a message or me and Jen a message on the Instagram. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about. If you have any questions, you can email us at divinenobodiespodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you want to see the video um, element of the, the podcast, if you're um, wanting to look outside of the audio platforms, you can go on YouTube, find our videos there, like them, subscribe, do all the things. If you're on Apple Podcasts, we'd really love for you to leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Really helps out the podcast, helps us get our message across. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Namaste, friends. See you later.